Scales way in front of Morelos. Oh, oh wow! That is incredible! That is remarkable! And it's Liam Scales! Would you know it? All alone from Celtic! Hello and welcome to the Late Kickoff Football Podcast. The Dandy Dons downed a Beeling Rangers side to tip the scales in their favour for third. Elsewhere, Dunfermline were having their red letter day as they extended their unbeaten run to 22 in Airdrie, grinding out the final 20 minutes against the Diamonds with nine men. Down south, did Herculean Halland and his luscious locks seal the fate of Arteta and Arsenal? I'm Jamie Guyon. Joining me as ever is Sheila. Sheila, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. How are you? Sees Mike straight off the bat. Fantastic, Sheila. I'm absolutely tremendous. I've got my Don's top on. It's uh, it's been a wonderful three or four months as a three or four, not quite two or three months as a dandy, uh, and I'm in a I'm in a fantastic mood. And all the better uh, for being delighted to welcome onto the show two icons of the Don's world and two thirds of the ABZ Football Podcast, Gary Scott and Gavin J Baxter. How are you doing, gents? Very well. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Great, thanks for having us. It's a shame you've not got the, the best of the three, though. Graham's not available tonight, so, you know, jokes <laughs> on you guys. I yeah. thought you were talking about Mike. I was like, you know, <laughs> fair point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah both, both sides of the podcast on this show are missing their, uh, missing their sobriety, I would say, um, uh, <laughs> in this episode. But there's absolutely nowhere else to start than at Pataudry at the weekend as Aberdeen ran out 2-0 winners against Rangers. Clarkson. Mioski! It's 2-0! To Incredible scenes at Petoji. That was Boyan Miofsky with uh, another fantastic diving header to add to the collection of classic Dons diving headers. Still not quite Dadamaki against Dnipro for me, but it's certainly up there. Gents, you've had Five days, four days now uh, to recover. Uh, how you have you come back down to earth yet? Or are you still still living the uh, beating Rangers dream? To well, either of you, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was being polite and letting Gav go in there first. Um, have we? No, definitely not settled down from it yet. It's been too long since we did it, so um, it's been great. The only the only complaint I've got is that Ian Crocker's commentary is over those iconic goals. Once again, um, apart from that, though, brilliant. What else? What what more could you want? A, a comfortable two 0 win in the end, and um, Rangers bailing all over the place in the aftermath. So um, it's all it's all good. It's been fantastic. Yeah, I did uh, thoroughly enjoy that he couldn't have mentioned Liam Scales was on loan from Celtic <laughs> any quicker if he tried. Literally, the first thing he said that wasn't that wasn't that somebody has scored, uh, which was incredible. Uh, Gavin, have you managed to come back down to earth yet? I'm on my way. I'm on my way, certainly. Um, I felt that it was a massive game, regardless of the opposition, um, as much because of Hearts dishing out a scudding to Ross County on the Saturday, which as an Aberdeen fan, I found provoked a lot of mixed emotions. It was like, this is horrible to watch as an Aberdeen fan, but it's also awesome to watch Malky McKay's team get scudded <laughs> anytime. Um, so bearing in mind that happens, even just taking Rangers being the opposition out of the out of the fold, it was a big game. Going to the split with that five-point gap, uh, that five-point cushion, I thought was very important. But yeah, of course, uh, it's Rangers. We have not beaten Rangers for far too long at Pataudry. And to do it in the manner we did with those two goals, yeah, say magnifique. Yeah, absolutely sensational. I think that was our 
first win against them since the Lewis Ferguson header at um, Hamden and first win at Pataudry since the Madison free kick. Is that right? Um, well, it's bad news when you can remember the goals quite so vividly uh, that you perhaps don't beat them often enough. First half maybe wasn't um, as plain sailing as we would have liked. How did, Gav, how did you uh, How did you see that? I certainly thought that we came out perhaps a little bit nervous, um, couldn't get close enough to them. The press didn't seem to seem to be working and they obviously carved out two or three fairly um, clear opportunities early on. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree. I think there was uh, moments where our players were steaming in to try and win balls that were not there to be won. And, you know, Rangers, for all you can say about them, they've got a few good players that can link up very well. And within a matter of seconds, they're breaking on your defence in numbers. Um, other occasions, I thought that it's a term we've used so often when playing Rangers or Celtic. It's uh, you show them a little bit too much respect. And then when we didn't get on the ball, I just thought we were rushing things all the time. Um, no one seemed to have the the patience or the the composure to just get their foot on the ball and make things happen the way that we know we can. Um, that's a very diplomatic answer. I thought we were dug me in the first half. I thought we were very lucky to actually go in uh, at halftime. Nil, nil. And at that point, I remember saying to Gary that the game had a sort of predictable inevitability about the way it was going to go. Yeah. How wrong I was. Yeah, I, I was certainly saying in a number of group chats at halftime that I was uh, incredibly concerned about the direction that the game um, was going in. If it wasn't for, uh, for those that haven't seen it, if it wasn't for Leighton Clarkson on the line with a, with a brilliant header and also, uh, I, I want to say a great save by Kela Roos, also Fashion Sakala doing Fashion Sakala things and, and kicking the ball right at him, I think. Um, I'm not sure if you boys heard the uh, halftime analysis. Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis was given Kellarus perhaps a little bit too much praise for the save that he made there. Uh, and Chris Boyd and James McFadden both had the face of strikers that perhaps scored a few more goals than uh, Fashion Sakala will in his career. Um, do you think, do you think, Gary, that, that Shinny's absence, controversial as it was, perhaps was the difference in that first half, or was it just simply how we've seen Aberdeen against the old firm in recent years? I think it's probably a mix of both. We touched on it, I think, in the preview show for the game itself around the fact that, you know, against um, Ross County and against Kilmarnock at Pataudry, um, Robson had kind of gone with a... He'd shifted away slightly from a 3-5-2 into a kind of 3-4-1-2 with Duncan playing slightly more advanced from the, the midfield, like from the holders in, in, in Clarkson and Shinney or Clarkson and Ramadani or Shinney and Ramadani. And uh, I think we touched on the fact that we felt that maybe would leave us a little bit exposed to possibly just playing that, just that little bit ahead of the two. And I think you saw that in the first half. Um, and Robson admitted, I think, in the post-match interview as well, that I think we'd been practicing what we'd been training and expecting all week. Rangers were going to come and play in a diamond and they kind of played with a, a two and a two and played with a box. And we kind of struggled a little bit just to understand our press and get that right in that opening 30 minutes. You could see we started to kind of work out a little bit, which... Fair play to the players on the pitch. You know, I think they're actually showing that in-game intelligence to understand exactly what was happening. Whatever Robson and Agnew did or said at halftime worked wonders. We were so much more aggressive in the in the midfield, but aggressive at the right time, as Gavin said. We were kind of chasing, jumping into balls at the wrong time in that first half. So were we missing Shinny? I think we probably were. I think you I don't think you would have ideally gone in that game with Ryan Duncan in the center of the park. I'm not saying Duncan had a bad game. I thought actually second half he played quite well. Um, but yeah, you miss that energy and that experience, I think, in the middle. And I think coupling that with maybe a bit of nerves, maybe a little bit of 
deference. I, I don't think we were necessarily deference, maybe paying a bit too much respect to to Rangers probably led to that opening first half just being a little bit all over the place. Certainly the opening 30 minutes anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, touched on on uh, Duncan there. I'll come back to that later because he was somebody I wanted to ask you both um, about in his his performances in in recent weeks. But on to slightly more positive things because uh, you would uh, you would be forgiven for thinking that we didn't win the game. So uh, <laughs> come out uh, come out in the second half and uh, an incredible shot by Liam Scales spotting Alan McGregor off the line. Uh, who I'd seen a Rangers fan tweet that Alan McGregor mirac- miraculously manages to be on his line and too far off his line at the same time <laughs> at all the wrong times, um, which is a great way of surmising how that goal goes in. But um, it, it's a cliche, Gavin, but goals goals change games, and the game just seemed to turn on its head with that coming s- circa three minutes into the start of the second half. Yeah, just the very nature of it, that just comes completely out of nowhere. I mean, it's an amazing no-look shot from Liam Scales, <laughs> let's be honest about that. Uh, you know, he's looking at Miofsky, but he knows what he's doing and spots uh, spots old man McGregor off his line. Um, Alan McGregor, by the way, angry. Angry, <laughs> angry young man. It's an understatement. Young man. Young <laughs> man. Is, uh, <laughs> what, is, what is going on there? If anyone likes, would like to put forward a theory, then... He is he is possibly the angriest. No, he is. He's he's definitively the angriest football player I've ever seen. Ever one one hundred percent. And then yeah, the stadium. It was a good atmosphere at the game um, anyway. But then the stadium just picked up, and you know we got our tails up. So immediately after that, they kick off. Johnny Hayes snaps into a tackle on. I can't remember who it was. Leighton Clarkson snaps in. The crowd of them behind him. It, it was a yeah, like you say, it, it changed the game completely, and for the better. How how was the crowd at, at halftime? Um, I assume you were both there, and so was it a was it a sort of nervous feel and amongst the fans um, at, at halftime? I don't think it was actually. I think like because we're so we're both in the in the shed, so. It, I felt a little bit apprehensive, I must admit, about the second half. But to be fair, the atmosphere kept going. You know, there wasn't, there didn't feel like there was that lull at all, um, which was good. And I think the fact that we get the goal so early just helps. You know, it just, it just yeah. raises everybody that a little bit more again. And to be fair, I've said it to a lot of people this week already, and I think we talked about it on, on our show earlier in the week, that that's probably as good as Pataudry sounded for a league game domestically. As I can as I can remember, it's probably up there with Copenhagen in the UEFA Cup run uh, back in two thousand eight. Um, in terms of atmosphere overall, it was brilliant, absolutely fantastic. More of that, please. Yeah, and that came through. Um, that came through on the telly as well. To be honest, it was it's uh, it's the first time in the eighteen months since I left Aberdeen that I've been genuinely devastated that I could be <laughs> at the game. Like genuinely, it's actually been quite a good eighteen months to not have to. Put yourself through going to live Aberdeen games every week, to be honest. Um, and you can sort of watch it on uh, Red TV, and then as soon as we've lost, sort of two one to Livingston or whatever it is, you close the laptop and the games the games away. But uh, no, this was very different, and the that that came through on the telly because I think um, they've been quite guilty on. I say guilty, this guy. It's clearly on purpose, isn't it? But they put the microphone under the old firm fans, and that's yeah. what you hear coming through on the telly. But um, I assume they still did that, but the the Aberdeen it was the Aberdeen chants that were coming through um, loud and clear. And I can confirm I heard no references to any disasters or such um, other type chanting as we've been accused of singing. Um, but the first goal goes in, game game changes, it, it sort of turns on its head. And I thought it was actually Rangers that looked 
um, nervous from from that point on. It, they seem to find themselves in a position that they probably haven't been in since Beal went in. Perhaps other than it's at Celtic Park, but for for a non-old firm team where the stadium was raucous and it was clearly against them, and they were playing against eleven players that seemed to smell blood. And I, I don't know if that came through for for you gents as well watching it, but it seemed like. For for Rangers looking nervous, we grew into into the space that they'd left there as well and really started to take a, a foothold on the game and spend a bit more time on the ball. I think we, 100%, when the goal goes in, we get the bit between our teeth. Like I say, the, you get the two tackles going in straight away after kickoff. And I think, yeah, they just seemed a little bit um, almost shell-shocked, as you'd maybe expect them to be with the the way the goal comes about. And the big thing in that moment is that you have to then capitalize on that momentum, that opportunity to to really um, cement the lead. And the good thing there is that obviously we get up the park, get the ball late in Clarkson and at a time when, you know, range is a little bit all over the place and combine that with Boyan Miofsky's positional sense, late in Clarkson's ability to then see him, find him. It's an incredible ball with the outside of the right foot. And then, it's a, a diving header for the ages from from Boyamilski. Just to talk once more about the the atmosphere, I was um, at Pataudry on Tuesday for the sponsor a player dinner because we sponsor Millie Uckert, and so a lot of the first team players were there. Uh, they were making like a real point of mentioning that that is like the best Pataudry sounded, and that's like Sashini and Johnny Hayes are talking about as well, who have known some some good nights at Pataudry. So it was a it was a special day to be an Aberdeen fan. Yeah, that's a that that's big coming from them to be fair, because yeah. there's a few famous victories against Celtic uh, in their time under under McInnes as well, where the crowd and and obviously the James uh, Madison game that we mentioned earlier. So that's um, fantastic. I did enjoy your little. Uh, I was listening to your your pod earlier in the week, and I did enjoy the reference to the fact that Millie Urquhart's now leaving, which is the second straight <laughs> player you've sponsored who's then departed. Well, if you want uh, to laugh about that, Graham used to religiously get a new player's name printed on his shirt every season, and historically, what would happen is you'd get their name on the on the shirt, and then they would leave within six months. This happened. Yeah. This happened for about four years on the trot. So. Um, yeah, God forbid whoever is going to pick up our sponsorship next season. <laughs> yeah, not Duke, please. No, I'm not sure if that's if oh, we can't, if, we can't afford the we can't, we can't afford the first team men's guys. That's not happening. <laughs> but leave leave him alone if that's yeah. Really, and uh, saying all that, Millie Ucker is heading to Jacksonville for a soccer scholarship. So she's like she's done better than like Barry Nichols who went to Preston. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, I just got my my friend uh, and his wife just gave birth, and he's a Leeds fan. Um, and because it's twenty twenty three, I got him a sort of full sized men's Leeds top, so that when when his son gets to the age, he's got one from the year he was born, and it's twenty three. So I got um, Sinister on the back of it because Sinister is number twenty three, and and we joked immediately that he is exactly the kind of player that will be gone in the summer. And and probably never be heard of again. He'll have a reasonable career at like Sporting Lisbon or Getafe or something like that. And uh, but it, it, you never know. That might put the price of said lead shirt up when people are at the ground asking who the fuck is Sinistera <laughs> and why is he on the back of your twenty year old shirt? Um, superb, Sheila. You obviously not not viewing this game with uh, with any skin in it whatsoever. Well, nah, no, I wouldn't say that. It's skin. always good to see the yeah, exactly, yeah, anti yeah. skin. Yeah. It's always good to see them get beat. Uh, no, I mean, again, what a, what a time to be an Aberdeen supporter. I mean, like geographically, it's not your derby, but as far as uh, you know, raw hatred and um, 
but like similar to between us and, and Falkirk, I guess, that geographically not necessarily the closest, but certainly in terms of vitriol, uh, you know, one you'd really want to win. But I think, you know, that played into Aberdeen's hands much, much more so than it did Rangers. It's it's kind of sort of a hallmark of this Rangers side that, you know, when a team's assured in possession and comfortable in what they're doing, and as well as, you know, sort of a, a crowd, a hostile atmosphere, they kind of shit the bed a little bit. So, again, it's... the, it's the great, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> I, it was. I know, it's always good to see a total conclusion, but, uh, like, the staunchest man in football, Alan McGregor, having a go at... Who's he? It's like, after the goal, Ryan, Duncan, Duncan, Ryan, goal, Duncan, Ryan yeah. Duncan has a wee, has a wee niggle at him, and, uh, you know, you just get the feeling that there's not enough of that certainly from a Rangers perspective through the team that they really know what it means, like what a, a game against Aberdeen man uh, means to the sort of the, the Rangers faithful. I mean, second only to a sort of victory against Celtic, probably in terms of, you know, what it means to the fans, the bragging rights. But yeah, Aberdeen looked really, really good. And uh, Barry Robson's fairly put himself in the, in the shop window. Uh, absolutely. So the last, uh, just just fired off the last fifteen minutes of the game. Then Don's two 0 up, and um, and it is I would say the least nervous I have been with Aberdeen leading against an old firm team uh, for a, a, a for a long time, maybe ever. I can't I can't really think of another game where we've been leading and I've not been sort of chewing my fingernails off. And the Tavernier chance aside as well, I don't think they really had a, a sniff in that last 15, um, 20 minutes. Was that, was that the feeling in the ground as well? Was there a sort of uh, an overriding confidence amongst everybody? It was a, a two, three-minute period around the Tavernier chance, and that's an incredible save by Kelrus, by the way, which, you know, if that goes in, then, yeah, it becomes a very, very tense uh, 15 minutes. You know, you can have lots of Rangers possession, lots of balls going in the box, and then you give Nick Walsh a chance to do some SFA refereeing. <laughs> His finest John Beaton impersonation, if you if you will. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, yeah, I don't know about Gary, but I felt very, very secure. Um, I think our back three, especially in that final 20 minutes, were just immense, um, led by the absolute colossus. But that was Liam Scales on the day. Oh, Liam Scales. If there was ever a game for Liam Scales to score that goal and it'd be believable that he meant it, it was this game. He was he was absolutely um outstanding. Um and and, and how much of let, let's talk about the back three generally, because they've been sensational for well, probably eight, nine games now. That's five clean sheets on the bounce, which for Aberdeen is absolutely remarkable given where we were in, in January. How much of the other two coming in, do you think, is lifted scales as game, or how much of it is better instruction from from Robson, or possibly both? I think it's probably a bit of both, isn't it? I think Liam Scales said in the post match on Sunday, and it was like a little slip, and I don't know if he meant it, but he said it, and it was kind of a bit of a an insight into the honesty sometimes of a footballer when he just said that tactically he felt we were much more on it and much more organised now under Robson. Um, so I think there's that part to it. I think that Robson's made us just break the game down into simplicity and we're not asking defenders to do things that they can't do. You know, we're not asking Anthony Stewart to turn into prime, you know, um, Gerard Piquet, <laughs> you know, and, and to try and play out from the back. Um, Paul and McDonald have come in and have been brilliant. I felt for them, I was really worried about them when they, their first game was the St. Mirren game when McCrory gets sent off after kind of two minutes. And... They looked a wee bit ropey in that one, but that was understandable because we had started as a back three, I think, that evening. And then 
suddenly McCrory's gone and they're like, right, well, I don't really know this boy and I don't know this boy, but we'll have to try and make it a back a back four now and we'll see how we go. And they looked a wee bit all over the place, but that was to be expected. They'd just been in the door. But I had the fear at that point about who these two boys were. That, but since then, they've been was, unbelievable. That was also the, like when Curtis Main did in fact turn into Prime Didier Drogba. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, and they've been brilliant. You know, Pollock's got, we, we've said it before, I think Matty Pollock's got all the ingredients to be a really, really, really good defender at a, at a very high level in football, I think. You know, physically imposing. He's got a decent turn of pace about when he gets going. Um great attitude and Angus McDonald's complimenting him brilliantly with that experience McDonald's not the quickest but just seems to know where to be at any given time just to head things and kick things clear so they've been brilliant and then it's given him Liam Scales that opportunity I think just to really show what he can do I think if you put Scales in the, in the centre of a, a, a back two it's a bit iffy if you put my left back it's a bit iffy that that role just there left hand side of the back three seems to suit him to a tee yeah, his, his distribution is absolutely sensational. I think we did see snippets of that earlier in the season, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, sometimes you also wonder if it just looked better because he had Anthony Stewart's distribution the other side of him to um, compare it to. Do you think there's any any danger of them coming back? Maybe less so Pollock, but more so McDonald. I think I'd love. I, I mean, I let's face it. Robson's getting this job now, isn't he? I mean, unless they pull out, you know, Pep Guardiola decides he doesn't fancy Man City for the back end of the the next few years, and and he's coming to Aberdeen for Dave's data dollars, then it's gonna be Barry's job. And I can't imagine a scenario where they look at this and go, they're not gonna give McDonald another maybe a two year deal, and he's thirty one, so you know, probably be okay there. I guess it depends how well he's done in terms of putting himself in the shot window. And there was talk about was it Plymouth, I think, and then maybe another team in League One or a Championship down south who were maybe sniffing around him. But he seems to be enjoying it. You know, we've we've had a little bit of interaction with Angus ourselves. We've been doing a couple of raffles and stuff for his foundation, and he seems to be really enjoying life in Aberdeen. So maybe you never know. Maybe it's a deal that can be done. I'd like to think we're trying to pursue it. Pollock's a different one, I think, because he signed a five-year deal at Watford. Um, yeah. That said. You know, Watford paid cash money for Ryan Porteous and gave us Matty Pollock for nothing. Um, maybe there's something we can do with Pollock. He's on a five-year deal. They obviously view him as one for the future. Maybe we can convince them to send him back to Aberdeen for another, another year at least. I don't think we could afford to, to go and buy him out of that contract. I can't see that happening. Maybe we'll get Ryan Porteous next season on loan. Jesus Christ, could you imagine? That'd be funny, that? wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see uh, Don's Twitter, the, the meltdown in your mentions, if uh, Ryan Porteous signed for Aberdeen. That would that would be one. What about what about scales? Do you think there's they think there's anything to be done there? They, they obviously let him go out on loan last summer at a point where he would have been hoping to break into the first team. Um, I, I question whether we similarly whether we could afford him if we had to buy him. Um, I think uh, it's one of them. I don't think Celtic would necessarily be too difficult to deal with in that one. Uh, but I mean, not to be majorly pessimistic about our transfer dealings in the summer, but it's just if they put them to market and we're talking about championship clubs, then the money just becomes unsustainable. Um, especially when you consider the scale of the rebuild that we're going to need to uh, like we did there, Gav. The scales of the rebuild, like oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I mean, he's uh, he, you know, he's like he's had he's had a mixed bag of a season. He started very, very well, went through a rough period, as did pretty much everyone. It was coming in for a lot of stick. Um, I think you've got to give credit to his character because he, could, as a Celtic player at Aberdeen, could have easily chucked it 
in January and just said, you know what, let's just see this out and then I'll go back to Celtic. But he's uh, he's really knuckled down. And I mean, there was a moment in the Rangers game where he clears a header away that denies Morelos, gives a little fist bump to the red shed. He's another one who seems to be really enjoying his time at Aberdeen, and you know, hopefully that can that can work in our favor. But um, yeah, we'll just depend on what the money's like. I think we might get fortunate with scales. Scales' numbers, when you go and look at them, aren't great. You know, they're not blowing anyone out of the water. They're not blowing anyone out of the water when it comes to just the the Premiership in Scotland. And we all know now how much like the data drives a lot of scouting and recruitment. And his numbers aren't jumping off a chart at anybody. So we might get fortunate that. People might just not be looking at him, and we've at least seen what he can do. And he, I think, he feels comfortable at Aberdeen. I think he's kind of embraced it. I think you know he seems to be enjoying again his time here. It could be on Liam Scales's perspective a perfect move for him. You know, he's he's had that opportunity at Celtic. It's not worked out for him. He's clearly not going to be part of the Celtic team going forward. Does he view coming to Aberdeen maybe on a two or a three year deal? If I do a good twelve months and I get my numbers up. Maybe I can get a move down down to the championship or down down south somewhere. Maybe he views it as being a good stepping stone for him. So I think there could be something in there, but I'm just not sure how easy Celtic will be to deal with. That's my biggest problem. Yeah, I suppose I it just it depends what the what the money is, isn't it? Because he's got yeah. Europe, European football touch would come onto that, but he's got potentially you know uh, particularly if we held on to third, if he's looking at a group stage, then that really is shot window territory for him, and he could be looking at a low end Premier League upper end championship move if he if he had a good season and if he's that way inclined I suppose sometimes you don't know players have short careers don't they and and you know he might just be thinking about money in the bank sorry Gav you were going to jump in I was just going to say Gary talked about Lewis Ferguson's numbers being not that good all last season and he's gone and dominated City yeah so <laughs> expect uh, expect AC Milan to come in for Liam Skills any minute uh, no I, I think Gav you're misquoting me now Ferguson's numbers were decent the that problem is- was that Ferguson didn't excel at one thing he was good at he was good at a number of different things, but his numbers didn't jump out of you as being like he wasn't a if he stripped his penalties out, he wasn't a a goal scoring midfielder on the face of it. He didn't make a lot of tackles, he didn't make a lot of interceptions. His passing was okay. It was but he wasn't breaking lines. It was a lot to do with the way he was being played. You had to sit and watch Lewis Ferguson, I think, as a scout to understand what you were getting. And I think Bologna and Susulo and a load of other teams were looking at him, which was the main thing. But like I say, as we all know now, data drives so much of this stuff. Um, I'm not sure if Liam Scales is on a lot of people's radars right now. We'll see how he does in the last five games. He might, you know, then his numbers <laughs> might jump off the page, and or vice versa. And we might, yeah, we exactly. Might pack his bags for him and send him back down to Glasgow. Maybe for guaranteed third, Barry's just like, just you know, just back and have oh. a few stinkers, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive chuck, chuck a couple down. of <laughs> chuck a couple of own goals in for uh, for us. You touched on Robson's. It's Robson's uh, job. Um, I, can't really go any other way. Can't surely. I think the way I look at it, and I wasn't a big Robson uh, stan at the beginning of his of his reign, and uh, thought perhaps the style of football, and, and perhaps still the style of football, isn't one that sort of gets you off your seat. But it's a results driven business, and the worry would be if they brought in somebody new, the first sort of five to ten games next season, if they don't hit the ground running, then everybody's going to be sort of down their throats pretty quickly, particularly if they brought in somebody where you could throw, you know, he doesn't know our league, he doesn't know our, our players, that sort of chat. We've seen what happened at Kilmarnock with um, Mourinho's old assistant, I've forgotten his name now. Oh, uh, uh, Alessio. Alessio, yeah. Where you've 
where you've got the clowns at Kilmarnock at the time saying that he didn't know how to run a training session, which can't possibly be true. Um, so, yeah, sorry, but to bring it back to the actual question, uh, Robson's Robson's job in the summer? It has to be, for the reasons you've just laid out and the scale of the the turnaround in such a short space of time to go ahead and fix. What was it Jim Goodwin said? The defence will take a couple of weeks to fix. <laughs> I mean, he was right. He just wasn't the guy to do it. Um, to come off the back of an 11-0 aggregate defeat to the two Edinburgh teams, the worst result in Scottish Cup history at Darvel, and then be talking about a team that have just won 8 out of 10 in third place. Third place is ours to lose. Six clean sheets in that time. Um, he's galvanised the support. He's just he's brought the club and the fans back together, I feel. Um I can't see any other option. I think if we had gone ahead and, like, say, brought in, just for argument's sake, let's say, Ricardo Rodriguez in, in January, and he did what Robson has done, would be hailing him as a genius. So Robson, for me, absolutely. He's he's earned it. You cannot not give it to him. <laughs> yeah. to him. Goodwin got a few things right, didn't he? Because he said the defence would be the easy bit to fix, which has transpired to be true. And he also said Hibs, Hearts and Darvel was just one bad week. Turns out that was true as well. It's just a uh, common denominator is removing Jim Goodwin to to make those things accurate. Uh, Gary, you weren't quite as I think you were maybe slightly more in my camp in terms of Robson five six weeks ago, but um, presumably have been convinced by now as well. First of all, I just love the idea. Can you imagine going to Barry Robson and saying you're a Robson stan? Just imagine his <laughs> imagine his incredulity. He'd have no idea what you're on about. It'd be brilliant. Um, I've had sorry, just I, I've only had sort of one uh, prolonged interaction with Barry Robson, and uh, when he was under 18s manager, and I was uh, referee in a game. It was I think it was Aberdeen Motherwell, and uh, I got the sense like Derek Young was there as well. Derek Young's like super nice, comes over to you, introduces him to. He, he's done it to me about seven times, so he obviously doesn't remember who I am, but he makes an effort to come over and say hello, and he's kind of like the good cop. And then you go in to do simple things like, you know, find out what colour the goalkeeper's jersey is. And Barry Robson just stares you down like you're, like you're taking a shit in the dressing room. And it is genuinely <laughs> quite intimidating. You know, you're like, you're refereeing 17-year-old kids, so you're reasonably relaxed as an adult. But uh, he he very much takes that out of you. But it was half time, and it was um, walking onto the pitch. And uh, he was making, Derek Young was making like three substitutions at the halfway line. And the assistant referee's like taking the notes properly. And the assistant referee's like 16, 17. You know, he's out there getting experience. And so he's taking his time and he's writing down the numbers properly. And Barry like storms about four steps onto the pitch, pointing at his watch. And he's like, fuck's sake, ref, pointing at his watch. And I was like, Barry, it's half time. And he's like, aye, but the boys just want to get going, don't they? And he's pointing at his watch, <laughs> throws his hands in the air and storms back into the like the sort of area where the where the coaches were standing. And uh and the, the poor 17-year-old assistant's like, is that right? Is that right? Is as quickly as he can. Let's go over. And I was like, just chill out. It's okay. We'll get the we'll get the boys on and we'll get going. And he's standing there. It, it was funny, standing there with his arms folded, shaking his head. And it was exactly what he was doing when eight minutes added time was put up on uh, Sunday. I was like, I reckon that. I've seen that. that I've look. seen that before. Yeah, yeah. Remarkable how intimidating a man he is when uh you're wearing a uniform that he does. Doesn't particularly like. <laughs> Text my dad after that game. I was like, I can't believe I've just met Barry Robson, and I know he fucking hates me. Like that is. They say never meet your heroes, but certainly never meet your heroes as a referee. That should that should go without saying. 
Um, <laughs> sorry, but you were <laughs> you were gonna drop that in there. You're going to come in on uh, on, on Robson getting the job. <laughs> Yeah, so we got in trouble like last week or the week before from um, another podcast apparently because they were concerned we were being the style police about the Barry Robson thing uh, because we had the goal to raise the fact that I think the St Johnston match and the Kilmarnock game had not been pretty on the eye, and um, which I think was fair. Neither of those games were pretty on the eye. Um, but at the same time, we were argue- you, you can't argue with the results. It's as simple as that, and it's a results-driven business at the end of the day. I think the interesting part is going to be around what the board say to Barry or the football monitoring board say to Barry and what Barry's view is on all of this going forward because the club, like it or lump it, have set out their stall about this philosophy and inverted commas and the way we're going to play and it's going to be this expansive brand of attacking football and all this kind of stuff. What Barry's bringing to the table is getting results, but it doesn't marry up with that strategy. Now, I don't mind if the club want to quietly put the strategy and the philosophy in the bin at this moment in time because we're winning games. I don't mind that. But it feels to me there's a little bit of a clash going on about how this is coming around. And it'll be interesting to me whether Barry's just taking the view of, I need to get this team up the table and... I'll get into third and however we get there is great and that's fine and that's what we'll do and then we'll get to the summer and then we'll reassess because the squad's like it's so patchwork and like makeshift it's not even funny like the the size of the overhaul that's going to have to take place in the summer for a team that's going to finish third you'd normally expect the size of overhaul for a team that's finished oh I don't know 10th like we did last season and had this fucking massive overhaul that we did last summer but whether then Barry is encouraged to be a little bit more you know free-flowing and a bit more attacking in his style. I don't see it. Barry's always struck me as being very pragmatic. And the guy's a born winner. And all he wants to do is win games of football. And if we win games of football by hook or by crook, it's not going to matter. And that's going to be the interesting part, I think, going forward, about how those two parts of the Aberdeen jigsaw kind of come together. Yeah, the team sort of look like him on the pitch as well, don't they? They're like ruthlessly efficient. Not, they're not flashy. They don't do anything. Well, it's almost like your analogy of Lewis Ferguson. They're not the best at anything, but they're sort of ruthlessly good at everything. I think we touched on it in the pod this week. I was like, this is a team, or maybe it was maybe the BBC call. I can't remember the amount of fucking media shit we do these days. It was like, it's a team who are built in the image of Barry Robson. Barry as a player was... He had a fantastic wand of a left foot that Jamie Langfield couldn't wrap his head around at free kicks, despite the fact it was going in the same fucking place every single fucking time, Jamie, but never mind. <laughs> but what Barry Robson did was he ran hard, he worked hard, he tackled for everything, he had flailing elbows everywhere all the time, and that got him in trouble more often than not. But he was a born winner, and he made the most of his ability, which was not great, but he you know, ended up playing at Celtic, winning league titles. He's got Scotland caps. He's done more in his playing career than he and his ability probably deserved. This is a team currently in the image of Barry Robson right now. The thing I really like about our team at the moment, and it'll be interesting to see how he does deal with this in the summer, we are horrible, nasty, aggressive from a defensive perspective, like that back, the defence through the, the back line. And there's all the dark art stuff and there's shithouses all, the, all over the place going on. But then you couple that with the flair of like a Clarks and Duke and Miofsky together. It's like the perfect match. You know, it's perfect mix for that. And God, I hope we can keep it going because it's fucking brilliant. It's, it's, uh, it reminds me a little bit, I'm conscious of saying this when we're talking about the Dons, but it reminds me a little bit of Lithuania era hearts. 
mm-hmm. where they were like very dark arts. They were all fucking massive boys that nobody wanted to get into an argument with. But they did have one or two like genuinely exceptional football players to to add to that, which which makes all the difference in those sort of turgid games. Um, Gav, is there, there's similarities, I think, as well, perhaps to the best days under McInnes uh, in the way that quite often you'd, you'd watch Aberdeen under McInnes and um, you'd come out after 90 minutes having 1-2-0 and you'd be like, I'm pretty sure we were shit, but we just seem to <laughs> always beat people. And and you sometimes couldn't really work out why. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, also, he... Um worked under Derek McInnes for quite a long time within the first team until until Derek left and you can see certain elements you know it's all about getting Donny Hayes and Ross McCrory up high uh, supporting the attacking players uh, there is that element of the physicality I mean there's the parallels with like Graham Shinney Clarkson Ramadani to the players that were there as well um, at the time uh, when it comes to the style I mean I'm not as concerned as I think Gary and Graham are I think um when Barry came in in January, you know, like Vinny Bajewin was already away, was no longer an option. Um, Shaden Morris, Cal Roberts, been unavailable for basically the entire season. I think Robson came in and saw what everyone saw, that this defence is absolutely murder. So I need to ship out one or two and bring in some replacements and get that part of the field fixed first, which is what I think with benefit of hindsight is what Jim Goodwin should have done rather than what he did, which seemed to be the case of the classic Kevin Keegan of, well, it doesn't matter if the opposition score three, because we'll score four, and that'll be fine. Away from home. doesn't Turns out it doesn't work out so well. Um, but, um, so I think, yeah, there's there's definitely the parallels. But I, you know what? I thought McInnes in the first two, three years especially was exciting. There was nothing more exciting to me than Johnny Hayes, Nell McGinn, um, Ryan Christie, Peter Pott, being supported by the likes of um, Shea Logan, Getting balls into the box for Adam Marie. That was that was great for me. It was it was when that team broke up that it was no longer so good. What I've learned within the last two years, especially, is that I don't really care how Aberdeen play. All that really matters is if we win or we lose. I've watched us play quote unquote pretty football against St Johnston for ninety minutes and get beat one 0 And guess what? It bored me to tears and made me want to want to never go back. So um, I feel like the last two years or so I've been like, it's like a metaphor for how to live a healthy life. You should not be, don't try to be something you're not. <laughs> don't try to get Declan Gallagher playing it from the back. It's just not going to work. Be it's, true to yourself. Be honest. That's what Bayer Robson's done. He's, um, the work he's done has been incredible and I look forward to seeing him uh, in the hot seat when we're on the way to winning the Europa Conference League next year. <laughs> I might certainly uh, get himself an Aberdeen folklore pretty quickly uh, <laughs> if he starts doing um, if he starts doing that. Yeah, we're uh, big advocates on this show for uh, or advocates the wrong word. We cringe every time a team's looking for a new manager and they start talking about you know, Spurs are the classic example. They they want somebody to come in and play the Spurs way, and Spurs fans want good attacking football, and then it'll be. Cardiff fans want good attacking football because that's what you expect in Cardiff. And then it'll be next, it'll be Norwich want, you know, free flow and good attacking football because that's what they expect. But not to touch a nerve there, but it's, um, it, at the end of it, it's bollocks. It's absolute nonsense. And, and Aberdeen, I think we're the same. All this chat about philosophy, I didn't say, I couldn't care less. If we beat Rangers, 
at home every season, I'll be delighted. And if we do it the way Barry Robson wants to do it, that's absolutely fine by me. I think yeah. the thing for me with this as well now is, and I touched on it last week in the show, is that I feel that there's a little bit of me feels that when you're playing at home, you have a slight duty to try and entertain your support, right? To a certain extent, because they're the guys who are paying the money, they're keeping the club going at the end of the day. And you should try to entertain as best you can, although it's not always possible. But I have absolutely no issues about going on the road and shithousing our way to 1-0 wins on the road or picking up points by any means necessary. I remember Jimmy Calderwood's first season at Aberdeen. We were the absolute masters of this. We would go away, we would score within the first five or ten minutes, go 1-0 up and just shut up shop and go away with a 1-0 win or a 1-1 draw. And we were brilliant at it. And you know what? There's nothing funnier than going to an away ground and just shithousing your way to three points. It's the funniest thing going. So there's that thing for me. I think Robson, because he has got that level of pragmatism about him, I could see us going down that road, you know, where we're maybe a little bit more expansive at home sometimes because we need to be, because there are going to be teams who are going to come and sit in and you have to be that little bit more expansive to be able to break them down. You have to have ways of winning games of football. But away from home, fuck it. Who cares? Three points and up the road. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. If Kel Roos wants to go down with cramp in the 60th minute of every away game, I'll be, I'll be absolutely over the moon with that. And Liam, was it Liam Scales that was standing over him for what felt like an age, just giving it the old the old ankle uh, yeah. tweak? Uh, there wasn't a lot. Of, there wasn't a lot of pressure going on there. <laughs> standing up in a conversation with Nick Walsh, remarkably yeah. for for a man that went up to a steward and asked the ball boys to hurry up, he seemed pretty calm about Liam Scales doing doing some first aid on Kel Roos. Uh, yeah, that is that's up there with one of the one of the funniest things I've ever seen a referee do is, is approach the stewards to get the ball boys to hurry up. That's a uh, very very Jose Mourinho, Eden Hazard at uh, uh, was it Swansea where he gets sent yeah. off for kicking the ball boy because he's right, taking yeah. too long. Um, s- superb. The fixtures for after the split have been announced now as well. Away to Rangers um, first up. Our two home games are Hibs and Saint Mirren. For me, that probably couldn't have gone any better when those two games and then win those two games and then not lose to hearts. And that is that's probably it. But it certainly means that we don't have to worry too much about getting results um with either of the old firm, you would have thought. I think that's the big thing about there's two bits. The big thing about the the, the game on Sunday was the fact we obviously it didn't it, it's great that we beat Rangers, right? Okay, that, that bit as an Aberdeen fan is obviously amazing. But the fact that I think the the tails were up a wee bit down Gorgie Way um, after Saturday, after they pummeled Ross County 6-1. By the way, how bad were Ross County on Saturday? That's <laughs> one for the ages. And, Holy uh... shit. Like The boy Yakiviti, has he ever played football before? <laughs> Jesus uh, wept. Anyway. It, was, the, it certainly um, didn't seem to the be the Ross County side. Back the split. Sorry, I was going to say, it didn't seem to be the Ross County side we'd faced a week before, that's for sure. No. No, absolutely not. I think the fact we go into split with five points advantage obviously means even if we can we can go to ten castle and afford to get beaten, it's still all in our hands, which is the big thing. Um, I've seen a lot of Aberdeen fans. It's really weird being like, "Why are we going to Celtic three times this season?" I'm like, I will happily take going to Celtic Park on the last day of the season for what will be hopefully a complete dead rubber in exchange for getting St. Mirren at home as opposed to playing them away again. Um, because you're absolutely right. Win our two home games, I think we're done. I mean, after we win at Ibrox on the 7th anyway, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Now, my old man's pretty pissed off about the fixtures because the only three o'clock home game he's not he's not around, so he can't go to it. So it's it's, it's, it's season's over, which is pretty rough for him. But I did try and explain that. Don't worry, at least it's at least it's good for the Dons. Um, Sheila, how do you see the the rest of this top six going? This you've got Aberdeen fifty three, Hearts forty eight, Hibs and Saint Mirren forty four. Mike, who unfortunately isn't here, certainly said that the Dons should be worried after that Hearts performance. Against Ross County, he thought they looked um, fantastic in that game, and and that we should be concerned about the rate that they were scoring goals. Yeah, I mean, like with with the quality of opposition, I mean, it doesn't doesn't strike me that they like doesn't surprise me that they they won by the scoreline they did. But it's Aberdeen, like again, you know, free flowing attacking football and scoring six is is great. But I would rather be in Aberdeen's position right now, where they you know they can rely on dogged defensive. I mean, speaking as a Dunfermline fan who's gone gotten quite used to dogged defensive performances, they're they're they are what gets you points on the board and ultimately gets you, you know, where you want to be. And um, so no, I'd I'd still fancy I mean it's obvious with the you know the points totals as the way they are, but given where Aberdeen were, you know, they have a foundation there that if hearts do try and, you know, play fancy football, then Aberdeen will be able to resist it a lot better than they did Back when Goodwin is in charge, I mean, I know that's a, a low bar, right enough. But again, against the you know the likes of the St Mirrens and Hibs, there's not again. You'd, you'd fancy Celtic to beat everyone, but there's definitely something there where you'd be like, all right, well, these are all all of a sudden, maybe with the exception of Celtic, they're all winnable games, which is which is mental considering they were getting beat off part timers not that long ago. So, I no, I think yeah, I pretty know the lead. The pretty much. The league table will stay the way it is. Um, I can accept maybe the exception of Hibs finishing, you know, sixth, but that's it. Yeah, anything. Although I, I would happily let them finish fifth just so that Lee Johnson stays in for as long as possible because I think that's only a good thing uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> for Aberdeen and everybody else in the league. Was, I bumped into a guy today who who he'd asked where I was from and asked who I supported. And I said Aberdeen, and he said, uh, "Oh, you you guys are having an absolutely incredible season." And I was like, "That's such a strange thing for you to say," because I could see as an English football fan who happens to casually glance that we've beaten Rangers and that we're now sitting third, you might think that, but I, I don't have time in this what is small talk to explain <laughs> to you how much of a not incredible season we've had. Well, he's right; it has been incredible, just on <laughs> you know, you know, a number of different levels. That's very true. Dictionary definition of incredible, perhaps yeah. not what he was going for, but <laughs> he de- he definitely wasn't um, definitely wasn't wrong. Looking into next season, um, you've both alluded to the to the level of the rebuild um, that is required. I th- it's maybe it's a it's maybe a long one to get into, but we'll we'll, we'll sort of try and touch on it. A number of players on loan, obviously. So off the top of my head, I think we've got Pollock, McDonald. Um, Clarkson out of the and scales, I think, out of the starters. Jay Horter, I presume he'll just go back and we'll never hear from him again. Um, Anthony Stewart is ours, but on loan elsewhere. So I, I think that's is that the big loan players? Have I covered them? Um, and Shinny. Oh, and Shinny, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Shinny. Uh, Patrick Mislovich. Come on, don't forget about him. Uh, is he on loan? I thought we yeah, had to. Technically, he's on loan with an option to buy. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. There's there's also the gentleman from Blackburn whose name I don't know. Oh, um, Dylan Marcanady. Uh, brilliant. Well, Marcanady. <laughs> I'd go so far as to say that he has an oh, Mark Marcanady. Mark Candy. 
Dylan Markandi. Markandi. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. I've not heard no. it announced anywhere because he's played for about two minutes since yeah. he's been here. So I've, I've literally no idea. Uh, I, I actually thought Mislovic was ours. I suspect that means he'll be he'll be going back as well. I don't know. I think Robson no. fancies him. Robson's Robson's been quite effusive about what he's seen from him in training. So I guess it'll probably depend on how much that option to buy comes in. If it's if it's buttons, then maybe we just decide. Yeah, we'll yeah, go for it. Take a punt. Um, yeah, he, he fancies him. He just doesn't, just doesn't play him. Which, which is in, I, I didn't Reed get to Ryan. Yeah, I didn't get yeah. to Ryan Duncan earlier. Is that they seem that would seem to be the position that he would play in? And um, I certainly haven't been blown away by Ryan Duncan's performances in the last four or five weeks. He doesn't doesn't strike me as a player that's going to be challenging the first team next season if we if we do fix this rebuild. I don't know if you, sometimes players are a bit different in the flesh, and I'm conscious that I. You know, only see him on TV, which means I only see him when he's on the ball. But that doesn't seem to be very often, um, and he doesn't seem to do much with it. Um, in so Ryan Duncan played quite a few, uh, made a few substitute appearances in the League Cup group stages. Looked very good there. Um, had a couple of good games um, at Petaldry, especially when we were playing like Livingston and St Mirren, or yeah, when they were like down to ten men. Looked very good. He scored a great goal against Park Thistle in the League Cup. But um, it's not been, yeah, you've not probably seen enough of him uh, just in terms of sheer minutes. And then when he's had this opportunity in the last three games, uh, it's not it's not quite clicked it in a place in the way that I'd hoped. I think that Ryan Duncan's got a lot about him, um, a lot of potential. I do now wonder if just maybe this would have been a, a year better spent on loan, perhaps a, a championship team or a, a higher end uh, League One team just to gain gain that experience. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily worked out. I think he'll probably he'll probably get that opportunity next year. Uh, he did sign a new deal this season, if I remember correctly. He's obviously someone we have a lot of high hopes for, but um, yeah, not quite worked out the way that I'd hoped. He, he strikes me a bit Conor McLellan-y. I don't know if that's maybe a bit harsh. I think he's got a wee bit more about him than McLennan does. I, 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 like the, like, I like the look of Ryan Duncan. I think there's definitely a player in there. I think he's been a wee bit unfortunate the last few weeks because he's been asked to play in this kind of slightly odd kind of one advanced role in the in the midfield and the games have just kind of passed him by a little bit. Um, I think mainly because we've actually probably played a lot more direct than we were expecting and we've just been hitting the channels more than anything else. He's not really had a chance to get on the ball and 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 show what he can do. I think there's something in there with, with, with Ryan Duncan. I, I actually kind of think he's had a better season by staying at Aberdeen this season and actually playing and been around the first team than being on loan at a championship team and maybe getting 20, 25 minutes here and there. You know, he played... Did he play the full game on Sunday? I think he did. He, he played the full 90 minutes on Sunday. So, you know, Robson and Agnew are obviously seeing something in that he's doing that's, that's contributing to the team. Um, I'm not going to argue either of those two right now. Um, so we'll wait and see. And it could be that Barry Robson might be the right manager as well to help bring Duncan along. Um, both very similar in the sense they've got kind of, you know, um, very good left feet on them. You know, we'll wait and see what happens. But I think that there's something in there with Ryan Duncan. We just need to persevere with him. We don't need to do the Aberdeen fan thing, which is where we start to get on top of our kind of young players who are coming through um, too quickly. And let's, let's see how he goes. I think, it's, I think he's done all right this season, Ryan Duncan. Yeah, and he's probably going to benefit from the fact we're winning games as well. So yeah. there's only so much criticism any player's going to get while the team are, are winning. Um, yeah, so in terms of the rebuild there, where where's the focus for you probably along... along assuming we, I say assuming we don't lose anyone, but I suspect we, we probably have to accept that one of Duke Romijowski will go and somebody else may go as well. I, I I don't think McCrory for two million quid makes a lot of sense and I'd much rather he stayed. But um I 
Yeah, I guess just it's quite a broad brush question. It might be difficult, but but off the top of your head, where are you thinking in the summer we absolutely need sort of this, this and this? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been accused of trying to engineer moves away for Duke, especially on a <laughs> podcast by one individual. So um, I won't I won't comment on the possibility of either he or Miofsky leaving. Um, I agree with you. I, Two million from McCrory is not nearly enough. You'd be, I think, you'd be with three years on his deal. The AG is. I'd be doubling that. Before I guess before I get interested, uh, he'd be a very important player um, and a big gap to to fill in a team that's already filled with gaps. Um, the big thing is just getting uh, a defense first of all uh, for me, and then if we could secure Graham Shinney on a permanent contract, I think Wiganer, oh, but doomed for League One, and obviously in a lot of. Uh, trouble from a financial perspective so hopefully we can make that happen he um he definitely has made it clear that he wants to be back at Aberdeen if that's if it was within his control so that and then yeah I mean you just then have to kind of decide settle on how we're how we're going to play if we're going to keep with this kind of three five two kind of system that we've got under Robson then you know it's a very obvious thing to say but then identify the players that are going to maximize our our potential with that system do you see any future for for the likes of Shaden Morris, Cal Roberts, Anthony Stewart? Do you, do you see Anthony Stewart coming coming back? I've maybe benefited from not being in amongst the uh, in person hatred that that he has suffered. For me, he looked like if all he had to do was defend, he might actually be quite a good player. Yeah, he reminded me a bit of Xander Diamond in the sort of very sort of all limbs uh, and just kind of. Throws himself around. Do you see? Do you see a a future for him? Or do you think? Do you think his his days are marked? His numbers marked? Whatever that I, phrase is. I I don't think there was a lot of hatred towards Anthony Stewart until, and I think hatred is a strong word. I don't think anyone was overly. I think a lot of people looked at him and thought very very limited, and he's being asked to do something he can't do. Right. Um. I don't think anyone really had that overriding feeling about him until probably the League Cup semi final. And it was like that tackle on the sideline. It was just that's just fucking madness. Like, what are you doing? That's just silly. And I think at that point, I was like, right, I give up on this guy now. I'm done. Especially the fact he's club captain. Um, I said it. I think on our show the last week or, or two weeks ago, I was like, I'd have been interested to see what Stuart would have done in a Robson team if he had just been asked to defend. Because I think you could see times, and I think we spoke about it a lot on our show during the course of the season where he was asked to defend. I was like, he was actually all right at that. And in the in the Angus McDonald sense, I remember I think when we played Hibs in the four one game. Um, was that pre World Cup? I think it was that pre World Cup when the, the first game of VAR. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. McDonald, uh, Stuart had a really good game that evening. You know, everything that was flung in the box, he had heads on it, he was in the right place at the right time to clear the ball with his feet. He was solid, but I think it's too far gone now. I mean, I think the fact that Robson was the one who was like, You're not going to play for me, out, and that wasn't even on the basis of I see something there if I make you play in a different way. So I don't think Stuart will be back. Shaden Morris and Cal Roberts are if if they leave in the summer, they're going to be two players who I'm genuinely going to sit and go. I have absolutely no idea if they were any good or not because we've seen so little of the pair of them because of obviously their injury problems. Um, as Gav touched on, I think a lot of what happens this summer will hinge on whether Robson decides that three five two three four one two is his go to, and that's what he's going to play with. Because if it is, all those wingers we signed last summer are completely irrelevant and they can leave 
because we're just simply not going to need them. And that includes Cal Roberts. I include, well, maybe not Cal Roberts. I think Cal Roberts was bought maybe with a little bit more of a view if he could play in the 10 and drift in field and kind of pick passes and, you know, drop a shoulder and beat a man. So it'd be interesting to see there. The other boys, it's like, we're not going to, you're going to be surplus to requirements. We're just simply not going to need you um, with a shape. It's going to be interesting because I think if we secure group stage football guaranteed, there's a little part of me thinks we might might be able to keep a hold of Duke and Miofsky this summer because I think we might be able to convince them and say look you can play group stage football and that just puts you to a completely different market you know and I think and that I had said earlier oh, sorry again. I think I had said know. earlier with these two guys as well where where they differ where group stage might come in and where they differ from some of our previous assets like a Cosgrove or um or even Ferguson, or they proved me wrong a little bit. But Miofsky and Duke will not behave about moving to Portugal, Italy, Germany, yeah. Spain, in a way that Scottish and English players traditionally have, have shied away from and have focused on the championship. So if we say to Duke and Miofsky, go play group stage football and you might get a great move to, you know, a top team in Greece or Turkey or Portugal, then, you know, they're going to be just as happy with that as they are Watford. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, I think both Miofsky and Duke have both said English Premier League's where they want to be. Clearly, that's this, the goal for the vast, vast majority of football players because yeah. that's where the money is. But if you're telling me that, you know, a Serie A team, for example, came in from Miofsky, I think Miofsky would really do well in Serie A, for example. Um, if they came in from him, he's going to say, nah, I'd rather, you know, I'll, I'll hang about and I'll, I'll wanna see if I can get a move to, like say, Watford or whoever's been relegated from the, the Premier League this season. I don't know. I, I think that offers a slightly different dynamic to the discussion about these guys. The, the, what will be interesting this season is because we've done, on the whole, I feel we've done all right from a recruitment perspective last summer um, in terms of unearthing players that Aberdeen historically would never have even found. You know, Amiofsky, Ramadani, uh, Duke. It's going to be a real test of our recruitment team now to see how we got replacements lined up for these boys already have we found and sourced the next Miofsky the next Duke the next Ramadani that we can bring in for 300 grand and we sell Miofsky for 5 million 6 million you know that's going to be the interesting part so there's there's a tiny little part of me and I'm not trying to sell them wants to see them go for bigger money and see who we replace them with and see if we can repeat this trick and see if we can keep doing it because that's going to be where our football club end ultimately goes to. I, I really don't want to see them go. We talked about in the pod this week. This feels like the most likable Aberdeen team on a personal level that we've mm. had for a very, very long time. They all seem like good eggs. They're all buying into stuff. Like, even like daft stuff like, you know, Boyamiowski bought, like, you know, the image, the Fitba tweets, boy, did the, the, the image yeah. of his goal at the weekend. He's bought one off the lad. Yeah. Like, That's he went, like stuff like that. Like we Duke signed the one that he did for the Dundee United goal for us, so we could auction, uh, so we could raffle it off. And they're all just like, "This is fucking brilliant!" Like, love it. They're just really buying into it. They seem like a genuinely good bunch of boys, and you can get it's easy to get behind them. And I don't think we've had that for a while. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like the rebuild's massive. The, the 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 biggest loss I think we're gonna have this summer if we do keep Miofsky and Duke. Sorry, this is dragging way too long. Um, sorry, Sheila. Welcome to our <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> is going to be how we replace Leighton Clarkson. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've we've been crying out for a number ten. I know he hasn't played ten exclusively, but he's yeah. sort of like a ten type player since Christie left. And yeah. to to only have him for twelve months is quite a shame. 
Miofsky's movement is brilliant, and that's what makes Miofsky as a player, and that's what gives him the opportunities. But you need a player alongside him who can a spot the movement and b play that kind of pass that he played on Sunday. And we've seen so many Dukes, uh, so many Miofsky's goals this season have come from Clarkson finding those passes, which no other player in the league, I think, can execute, with the exception of maybe a couple of players in the Celtic team. Um, if you take Clarkson out, does Miofsky score as many goals next season? You know, does Duke score as many goals? I don't think he does. And that's the biggest one. I, If we could, and if we got, I'll say it now, if we got two million quid for Ross McCrory, and I know a lot of people say it's not enough, I'd be straight in the phone to Liverpool and saying, here's two million pounds for Leighton Clarkson. And try See, and get him in the door. And even for two, a three-year deal, do what United did with uh, Dylan Levitt. And well, not exactly. Not exactly that. Obviously, try not to get relegated, um, but, but persuade a guy to come and 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 be here and say you put in our twelve months, eighteen months in, you'll get a bigger move elsewhere. And what are you going to do? You're not going to play for Liverpool next season, are you? Two million quid, and we'll write off all of Calvin Ramsey's uh, little bonus—not not the sell-on, but the little bonuses that <laughs> must be must be dripped in and out of there as well. Um, yeah, if I, if we were able to get him back for another year. That even on loan for another year would, yeah. would be sensational. And you're right, he's not going to play for Liverpool, is he? So he must be looking and wondering what what sort of next. And similar similar for him. I just sometimes you just don't know how these boys think, do you? Does he take a does he take a 12 month loan at West Brom and try and get them promoted next season, or does he play eight games in Europe and get himself into a different shot window? That's the thing. If I'm, if I'm, this is the good thing with Aberdeen with our business in the last couple of seasons now is that we can genuinely say to players, the Lewis Ferguson example is a brilliant one now, where we can genuinely say to like a Leighton Clarkson, come, come and play another 12 months at Aberdeen and, and hopefully it's group stage football. You could get yourself a move to Serie A and not even to like a shitey Serie A team. Like Bologna, mid table, you can go there, live the dream, live, you know, play in the most stunning stadium in Europe. Yeah, you know, Ferguson's been like, obviously, we moved to like UV and stuff like that now, you know, which I, might be paper talk, but it's a. And I think like a Leighton Clarkson would really do well in Serie A, for example. I think that would be a, 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 a league that would suit him down the ground. Maybe the Championship Premier League's maybe just a bit too much for him in terms of the physicality, the pace of it all. Somewhere a little bit more technically minded might be perfect for a Leighton Clarkson. So I don't know. Let's see. That, that's my biggest concern is how we replace him. Maybe Aberdeen should move to Serie A. I love the idea that yeah, somewhere more technically minded would be a perfect place for him to, co- to go and play so come back up to Scotland and I'll take you to St Mirren <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly you can get kicked around the park by and other fur, and fur park and Muddy Tuffin- Davidson can try and decapitate you at one point toughens you up toughens you up he, he, he seems to to be fair he doesn't seem to be one that is subjected to horrible tackles in the way that some other talented players that we've had in the past have been whether that's because he's elusive or or because he maybe doesn't wind people up he doesn't strike me as a nasty guy no. that's going around sort of nipping people in the arse or anything like that so maybe he kind of does a maybe he's a bit like an Angolo Kante just sort of smiles and runs around and everybody leaves him alone um fantastic but yeah, um, no, I, 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 it sounds like it's going to be an interesting summer for the Dons, and in some ways, I hope we sort of announce Robson, if not before the end of the season, sort of like 
10 minutes after the Celtic game just so that we know exactly what's going on and, and so do the players and we can start. Because if we do, well, irrespective of whether we're in group stage football or league cup group stage football, um, where our season's going to start early, you know, qualifiers. Because um, I think that's how it works, isn't it? We go into, if we finish third, we'd go into Europa League qualifiers, but guaranteed to drop into the conference group. We'd go, well... On the on the proviso that Cali Thistle or Falkirk don't win the Scottish Cup, yeah, yes. um, that would be so dawns, wouldn't it? We finish third, but Falkirk win the Scottish Cup, and so we don't get a group stage. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be. It'd be very done firm on a feel as well, wouldn't it? You win the league and get up, <laughs> oh, yeah. and get right up, and then they still win the Scottish yes. Cup, and you're kind of like, oh, fuck's it, man. Falkirk getting yeah, an well, idiot for your team. Fairly confident that well, I'm a gun team. I'll shit the bed, so I'm I'm all right. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what well, we we'd be guaranteed if we finish there, we're guaranteed playoff round Europa League. We talked about it on the way out of the out of Sunday. This is so ridiculous how much things have changed as an Aberdeen fan. Because I'm looking at this now and going, Hearts should have beaten Zurich in that Europa League playoff round. But Zurich are absolute fucking garbage, as it turns yeah. out. If you get a lucky draw in the playoff round for the for the Europa League, you could be Europa League group stage rather than the Conference League. Not that it really matters, right, where you're at, because the Conference League now, as it turns out. It's not this like hilarious Diddy competition where it was, you know, this, the seventh place team from Georgia being guaranteed a group stage <laughs> place. You know, it's still full of loads of big names. Um, but it's Europa it, League it, group. Yeah, be, Europa League is the better away days as well, isn't it? Yeah, because the, the conference is a bit, yeah, the conference is a bit still Greece, Turkey, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, a couple of Hungarian teams in there. Who was it that heart, uh, the Hearts had? Um, uh, oh, Fiorentina. Yeah, well, they had Fiorentina, Fiorentina which was good. Yeah, they had uh, Istanbul, Istanbul, Basak Shahir. Yeah, and the oh, team. Good they pronunciation. Beat. Well done. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Professionals. Um, uh, and then some was it Latvian, Lithuanian, Cups, Estonian Coops, mob, Coops. something like that. Coops. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, that that's not terrible. To be fair, you just you want the ones that you can fly direct to, don't you? As much as possible, um, make make life a little bit easier. I'm de- I was too young to see the Dons away from home, uh, and then I was a student when the Dons were away from home in Europe the second time. So it'd be nice, it'd be nice to be an actual adult and the Dons be away from home in Europe, so I can try and go. Um, we're, 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 yeah, although me and my dad very nearly went to Munich, and then it fell through, um, and we didn't go. But in hindsight, well, it wasn't the end of the world, to be honest. Um, there's nothing like sipping underpriced European prime lager in a city you would never dream of visiting. Yeah, exactly. Like Maribor. Riga. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, anyway, but anyway, enough about Burnley. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the Poznan game on Sunday, so I'll scout their Euro 2012 stadium and uh, see, see if it because they're Conference League this season. So see, uh, see the best spots in case we end up with them in the summer. Um, Sheila, you've sat incredibly. It is I know, two episodes sorry, in three weeks. No, no they're all right. How, how long are we going here? Like we've been on for like about yeah. an hour. I think the Dons, I think I think we can just about draw a line under the Dons because two weeks ago you had to, it's funny, you you only ever listen when we're talking about good teams, to be fair, 
Two weeks ago, you sat quietly while we discussed uh, Ajax in the early seventies. Surely you're not talking about Chelsea. Surely yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ajax. Yeah, we discussed the uh, the Ajax Cruyff team of the early seventies with uh, Gary a few weeks ago. So, um, and now you're sitting through listening to the Dons, who are of an equal ilk. I think it's fair to say. Um, but well, no, we will. We should move on. We absolutely should move on. There's a lot of Dons, a lot of Dons chat right now. Uh, so anybody that ch- tunes into this podcast <laughs> expecting two minutes of the Dons and a lot of English stuff <laughs> might be just about coming into your wheelhouse. Uh, before we do get to England, I did want to speak about the SBFL. Um, well, it's not the SBFL conference, is it? Is it the Scottish? I can't remember what its name is. The Scottish conference. Um, the fifth tier, anyway. The new fifth tier of Scottish football which will be called the conference in some uh, ilk. And it'll be two Highland League teams, five, no, four Lowland League teams, which leaves four Colts teams, which will be Aberdeen Rangers, Celtic and Hearts. Sheila, the reaction to this amongst our Dunfermline supporting uh, peers has been somewhat, negative um i suspect you're of the same view in that it's disastrous for the for the pyramid yeah i mean just it feels like it's to the benefit of like maybe four or five teams obviously the old farm and the edinburgh sides and probably aberdeen as well um as far as like what it actually does for scottish football as a whole i'm not really sure um, I'll steal a quote from Mike in our uh, group chat saying if you're if you're playing you should be playing with your peer group up until maybe 20, 21 and then if you stand out enough then you should be in around the fringes of the first team whereas if you're around 2021 and you're in the fifth tier you're probably never going to make it as a footballer so well certainly not to a good level and then the, what's really the point you're not going to be really bleed enough youngsters through to to make it worthwhile. And again, that would only be to the benefit of the, you know, the sort of the bigger sides in, in the Premier League. So really what's the benefit overall to Scottish football? Again, maybe, you know, if a Celtic B or a Rangers B were to come to town, that might generate a bit more income. But again, it's proper Scottish football that, you know, you'll sell your soul for for a little bit extra cash and it's it's poor to see. But again, I'm not really seeing the point. It's hardly like, you know, we've got Barcelona B or Real Madrid B coming to town or anything like that. So it's just don't really see the point. It seems very, very tin pot and I've seen something else and uh, from a bigger European nation. We'll see if we can integrate that into the Scottish game without actually thinking about, you know, how does it benefit all of us? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't at all, in my view. No, absolutely. Um, Gavin, Gary, I don't know if you've got differing views on it at all. No, we uh, we talked about this uh, a little bit ago when the whole chat about the the conference or you know re resetting the the, the football pyramid in Scotland. Um, yeah, likewise, don't see. I don't see it. Personally, I don't see there's a, a problem there that needs fixing. Never mind. Uh, more cult teams and all that kind of jazz. I mean, the the theory, the thinking is that it's uh, an opportunity for young players at the the top flight clubs to go out and get some experience playing against like men's football. I saw like all the chat about how Naismith has done such wonderful work with Hearts B. He was like saying that you know a lot of his players should be getting opportunities in the first team. He then gets the gig, and the only way a Hearts beat a Hearts Colts player is getting at Tynecastle is if they buy a ticket. 
So um, it just it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's worthwhile. Um, I think Sheila's absolutely spot on. I don't know really who it benefits. Yeah, uh, not a fan. No, it needs to get in the bin. I'm a little bit disappointed to see that um, our club are apparently getting involved with us now as well. Um, we're fortunate enough we've got a chat lined up with Alan Burrows next week. Um, and it's one of the things I think we'll ask about now is, you know, what what's the justification for it? What benefit does Aberdeen football clubs think they're going to get from this? But then that, and that's on like a very selfish level. I'm interested to know what, what we think the benefit to this is for our football club because I don't necessarily see it other than doesn't mean we don't have to loan players out to get them experience about playing against quote-unquote men every week and we can kind of keep them within our our system and keep eyes on them is that what the, the whole idea is meant to be i don't really know i mean like you i know that naismith was getting a lot of praise for what hearts b were doing i mean hearts b are sitting mid table in the lone league you know so it's not as though he's been pulling up trees as far as that's concerned i just think there are more fundamental issues within the the pyramid itself there should be more, there should be in my opinion uh, gav said that you know i'm not sure if what there needs to be changed there should be more um slow of clubs going through the pyramid than what currently happens at the moment. I think it's an absolute joke that, you know, the champions of the Lone League and the, the, the Highland League have to play off against each other, first of all, to then get themselves in a position to play whoever finishes bottom of League Two. Um, I think it's a joke in terms of the amount of hoops that whoever comes through the playoffs in the championship has to go through to then get to try and get promoted into the premiership. I think that needs to be sorted out. I don't think that works. I quite like the way that the the, the the playoff system works at the moment in the leagues below. I think that at least that does bring a level of excitement to it. You're not having the situation where if you finish, like I say, third or fourth in the championship, you have to then you know beat third or fourth, then beat second, then have to try and beat whoever uh, was shite enough to finish second bottom of the, the premiership. Um, there are some progressive... This is going to be the interesting part. I'm interested to know who the two Highland League teams are because presumably these have already been earmarked who these two teams are going to be. They, they don't just come up with a number of there's going to be two Highland League teams in this without knowing who they will be. Um, you know, there's a lot of chat within the Highland League around you. There are teams within the Highland League who don't want to be promoted, who don't want to go up the system. And that's fine um, if they don't want to do it. But then they they shouldn't be also blocking the, the avenues for clubs who do want to come up the system. Um I don't know. It feels to me, and this is uh, this is me on the outside looking in because I, I'm not a, a, a fan of a team who plays in the lower leagues. But I look at what Cove, I look at Kelty. Um, I'm probably missing somebody now as well in more recent seasons. You know who have come up through the system, and okay, yes, they're being bankrolled, right, and they're living out with their means to a certain extent. Certainly, Cove probably in particular. But at least they have a level of ambition about them, and they're willing to try and push themselves through the through the through the system and, and get to as high a level as they possibly can. That should be rewarded in some way, and I think that to to have the way that the, the current system works, it's just, it's just all wrong. And the idea about sticking another tier in the middle of it and effectively relegating—I don't know how many teams it is—is is like two hundred, two hundred yeah. teams you're relegating just you know at a whim. It's not for me. That said, if it fucks Darvel over, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair. The, the point you make on the two Highland League teams is really interesting because the, the Highland League is reasonably volatile amongst the top sort of yeah. five or six. You know, um, Brecon uh, have won the league this year, but Bucky were there or thereabouts the entire time. 
Broder have won the, the league in recent years. Fraserburgh won the league last season. You know, Fraserburgh are down in fifth now. They won the, they won the league last year. But if you only take two of them out, suddenly you're looking at, say, a Fraserburgh that now need two promotions to get to, yeah. to, get to league two. And that um, that's not just bad for Fraserburgh, but it's bad for... Huntley, it's bad for Nairn, it's bad for any other team that are in that in that space that kind of probably want some of these teams gone, the ones that are, are slightly too big. I think it's even more of an issue in the in the Lowland League, to be fair, that um Mike shared a really interesting, it was the top three teams in the Lowland League over the last decade. Um and there's only uh sorry, of the top two in the last decade, there's only been eight different teams to fill those spots. Um and if you think that Edinburgh have, have already come up. Um, and who is it? Edinburgh, uh, Rangers. What's their faces? Rangers uh, have come up, and there's another one from the Lowland setup as well. So you know, three of them have been promoted out of that eight, but you've still got five in a sort of bottleneck um, trying to come up, and then you've got the ones that go yeah. down that 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 bounce. You know, we had a a really good chat about Cowden Beath a couple of two three weeks ago about their ambitions to to sort of come back up. So. Yeah, it does make things more more difficult. And I think your point about who does it benefit is really interesting because it's no surprise the League Two teams seem to be the ones that are trying to get it in as quickly as possible and they want it in next year. Um, but I think that maybe a little bit of short-termism there as well because it might stop them getting relegated to the Highland or Lowland League as quickly, but equally makes it just as difficult to come back up again for them. So um, I, th- I think a few at the bottom of the of League Two might find that... Um, their support of this might might bite them in the arse a little bit. Um, I think that's probably the uh, the chat for for Scottish football. Sheila, I should ask you about the pars. Twenty two games unbeaten. Um, have a word on on their incredible end to the season before we move down south. <laughs> um, no, I think I didn't. I didn't get a chance to to see the game on Saturday because I was working. I'm just happy to you know keep the unbeaten run going. Uh, I think the most interesting piece of pars news. The Petit Parr slash Walker news was uh, proper tin pot League One Scottish football. I think Falkirk's main sponsor. I couldn't couldn't tell you who it is. I'm I'm not really interested anyway. But but um, they their main sponsor was outside East End Park holding up like a carrot or something like that, and some sort of joke about being in the semi, um, something along the lines of you know living the league title, lifting the league title is good, but you know. We've got a semi or something like that. Find the golden carrot or some some absolute drivel like that. I know this sounds like if I've got any listeners that came for the you know the the EPL games and all that chat. Like this is this is you know what we've got to look forward to in lower league Scottish football. And it was just as tin pot as you can get. And, you know, going to your biggest rivals who are going to lift the trophy on this coming weekend, and you're outside lifting carrots is. It's not a great look for you for your, for your scope for your team, and I think it was panned by the Falkirk support as well, who sort of realised that like now is not the time unless we lift the cup. Like we could go outside Eastern Park with the actual Scottish Cup, and that would you know hold some significance. But sponsors try to score points on the on the day, and they'll still, in respect of what happens in the, the Scottish Cup, there's a better than average chance that they'll still be playing League One football next year. So, but yeah, chuffed, chuffed all round oh. as far as the pars are concerned. Holding a carrot up outside outside East End Park, it's not quite Sammy the Tammy dressing up as a tank. No, I know. to shoot the Wraith Rovers fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. And I mean, it's not like he did that after Rovers beat us or anything like that. Just that as well. 
But I'm I, fairly sure you secured promotion that day. Um, so yeah, or certainly all but no. Like it was the, it was the game that sort of broke the back of Rakes title challenge, much like the you know the Falkirk at home game this season. Once we won that, we were we were done. So uh, home and hosed, as it were. So. Uh, Fantastic. Right, we will move on uh, to the English stuff. We'll cover the big talking points in the Premier League and we'll have a look at the Championship as well, seeing as we've got Gary and Gav with us. So um, we will start with the big game of the last six or seven days, and that was Manchester City for Arsenal 1 at the top of the Premier League. Lovely take by Haaland, supported by De Bruyne. De Bruyne shoots! Oh, brilliant! in the touch paper then Kevin De Bruyne one of Manchester City's big big players with a huge goal in the title race to set this one alive at the Etihad Manchester City won Arsenal nil Kevin De Sheila I should really come to you first since you've uh, sat so politely for the last hour or so <laughs> um, saying, uh, it, it was obviously the big game last night it's the one we've, we've spoken about for probably about six months now since it was originally um, postponed I think before the World Cup um, Arsenal's frailties in the last three games meant it really was a sort of cup final style season definer um, and Man City really schooled Arsenal from, from start to finish in this one. It was a bit of a non-contest. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as much as uh, Arteta tried to downplay the significance of the game, I think we all we all know that if City win this, the, you know, or won it, then the initiative would really be with them. And if they win their two games in hand, which, let's face it, they probably will, because they're in, they're, in they're in that mode where they don't look like they're going to drop any points whatsoever. Never mind enough to to give Arsenal back the initiative. So yeah, they did. And again, they don't. Arsenal don't. Despite how good they've been this season, they don't have the likes of a De Bruyne in terms of not not just in terms of quality, but in terms of whole attitude to to a game like this. We actually get your foot on the ball, grab it by the snuff of the neck, the stuff of the neck, the scruff of the neck, and uh, and actually, you know, take it to take it to them um, whereas Arsenal maybe a bit standoffish and a bit of rabbit in the headlights type whereas City have just, just been there and done it and done it on so many occasions that they were just utterly ruthless and the, the game was done I mean Haaland even let his hair down before scoring a fifth which is absolutely magnificent but it's just it's just not really fair is it I mean despite Arsenal having a great season in respect of the you know where they finish in the league I think um, they will have they will have still had a great season and they've made great strides um, over this, you know, over the course of the season. So I think after, you know, sort of the disappointment fades, they'll still look back and like, all right, well, we did really well there. And again, it's unfortunate because if this game had been played when it was supposed to, then Saliba would have started. And over the last three games, uh, four games, you want to count Liverpool as well. I think I'm done. Was he playing? No, he wasn't playing in that. So his absence and then to to slot in uh, Rob Holden who's let's face it he's never a top four centre back uh, he's not a top ten centre back so um, to replace Saliba with him is is definitely and then ha- to face him up against Haaland is just a recipe for disaster and that's and that's the way it panned out so had this game come earlier in the season you know Arsenal probably would have given it a much made it a much tighter affair than it turned out to be but I think that's the league more or less done. Not mathematically, of course, but yeah, I think in terms of what we know about City, they're not going to drop more points. 
I didn't. I did enjoy Haaland taking his hair out. It was very like Rui Patricio taking his gloves off before taking the penalty. Just like this is over. I don't. I don't need to care about anything anymore. And then for him to pop up with a goal, like properly, just <laughs> rubbing salt into Arsenal's wounds at, at the same thing because his hair is also ridiculous. Like actually, just a bit mental. Um, he's a ridiculous. But- uh, physical attributes are all ridiculous. Like everything <laughs> matters. <laughs> Even his hair. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Gav, what have you made of the, the Premier League title race this season? Perhaps been slightly more interesting than in, than in previous years. I don't know how closely you follow top flight English football. Oh, mate, I've got to confess right now, I am going to bluff my way through this. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, um, you know, when I think about Arsenal, it's like they're not, if you just compare squads with Man City, it doesn't even compare on paper. And Arteta's done an incredible job to get them where they are. It's one of them. It's where it's like, if you said to Arsenal fans, you'll finish like second in the season, you'd probably look at that and say that's a sign of progress. But the fact they've been so, you know, they've been top for so long, and then to lose at this final, the last few hurdles, it's gonna, it's gonna really hurt. It kind of reminds me of when Liverpool lost the title with them um, with Brendan Rodgers, and it took obviously Rodgers leaving in uh, a good few years of Jurgen Klopp to. To get them back in a place where they could challenge for it again, um, yeah, City. I mean, you talk about Haaland, you talk about Kevin De Bruyne. The fact that players like Bernardo Silva are there, and he's almost like just like an accessory player to the stars. I mean, Bernardo Silva is an incredible footballer, as is Gundogan. Um, Alvarez really impressed me in the in the World Cup, leading the line for Argentina. There's just such strength within the squad, and it's what Pep Guardiola has done his entire managerial career. He just has this knack of winning. You know the crucial key games, and uh, I think with that victory last night, it would be so comprehensive that it's it's got to be Man City's title now. Yeah, it would be a cataclysmic collapse from here. The, the likes that I suspect we probably hadn't seen since Keegan, and um, I, I don't imagine Pep Guardiola is going to do. Uh, we'd love to beat them interview anytime soon. Um, too busy talking about how much he loves Julia Roberts and uh, trying to make us all laugh with that. Uh, Gary, if, if, if your view on the title race much and such the same? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of English top flight football either these days is an awful lot, but I did make a point because I knew I was coming here last night to, to settle in and watch uh, the game last night, and uh, it was brutal. The way that Man Man City, I think I saw the Guardian reporting today that Man City took Arsenal to a place they didn't want to go and just locked them in there and just brutalized them. It was it was horrendous to watch. It was in terms I when I say horrendous to watch, I mean it was like you know it was like watching a a, a kitten thrown into a an enclosure with a set of fucking sharks or something. It was horrendous. The way that City just overran um, Arsenal was frankly hilarious at points um rob holding has got a tremendous hair transplant um that's about the only plus point i can bring out for rob holding last night but guys right when you when you've got players like when you have players like gundawan and and bernardo silva and i mean even pep's made like a kanji look like a decent defender like that's remarkable in and amongst itself and these boys are just all accessories. Even Jack Grealish, who's really... A, I've never been a Jack Grealish fan, you know, for a whole host of reasons. But even when you watch him last night, you go, he's not a bad player, you know. But they're all accessory players to De Bruyne and Haaland. And I think, she was right, I think when you've watched a lot of Arsenal this season, Odegaard's been the guy who'd maybe look at and say is kind of the De Bruyne-esque player 
for for Arsenal. You know, he's been able to kind of maybe take them through games where they've not been particularly playing well and, and, and take them through it. I mean, he got hooked after, what, 70, 70 minutes last night? It was completely anonymous. And yeah, Haaland's just a beast, isn't he? It's it's quite terrifying. Gavin's not shared it yet, but his other half's a Norwegian. Um, Gavin's got tickets to see Norway, Scotland in, in, in June. Um, let's just hope that Haaland has a little hammy or something. Not not as serious as going to keep him out for long term, but just enough to miss. That game would be nice. Um, yeah, it's one of them where like every if Scottish part of me wants to say that obviously if Haaland is unavailable, then that's a good thing. But there's also the part of, I just want to see this guy in person. And even if that does mean him just absolutely annihilating Grant Hanley for 50, for 90 minutes, I'll take it. I am convinced that Erling Haaland is actually not human. Yeah. I think that he's, I believe that he is a cyborg who's been sent back through type to score goals for Borussia Dortmund and Man City. <laughs> that's a really specific thing that somebody from the future wanted to happen, isn't it? Like that's a, like that's a, an interesting episode of Back to the Future 2 where the guy, where the guy's doing, <laughs> Guys, sending him back specifically for Dortmund and Man City and whoever he goes to uh, next. Yeah. Hopefully, it was a dandy and he comes to us next with Pep <laughs> as part of this whole mad yeah. anything to keep Robson sure, out of the job. I'm sure that he and I think it's his old man as agent. I'm sure they've said that yeah. they want him to play in like the five big leagues before he retires. So he's done Germany, he's done England now. So I mean, maybe Spain, maybe City, and then. Obviously, the cinch is the next is the final destination. Yeah, we just need to have a really good Europa League group stage so that we can we can get Scotland above Portugal in the uh, or France in the rankings <laughs> and get ourselves to the top. He is he is an absolute specimen. He um he, he's utterly utterly ridiculous. And De Bruyne, Sheila, De Bruyne's not had his best season, arguably yeah. for all intents and purposes. You know, he's been. He's looked a sort of half yard off the pace at times, and and yet he runs through three Arsenal defenders and just slots yeah, it. Yeah, I mean it's crazy, but like he, he had a poor World Cup. I mean he fell out with half the team um, whilst he was doing it, and then he was even out of favour at, at City at one point, um, along with the likes you know Cancelo, Bernardo Silva's not been you know one of the first names of this team sheet either, but. It's just this. This is where it it just becomes not fair in the sense that you know City have so many of these players that, as I say, can just change the game at, almost at will. And De Bruyne is the king at that. Like he, I remember the um, not not the World Cup just gone, but the one previously when they were playing Brazil, and it was just the Kevin De Bruyne show, and it was for this similar type performance where he was just seemed determined to to you know steal the show, and that was the case here. And again, just just men men against boys, really. Um, it's a, it'd be a sore one to take for Arsenal, considering it just kind of shows up how how far they've got to go to 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 assert City if if that's their ambition. And you know, again, it sends out a message to the rest of the teams as well. Um, Arsenal have played well against Liverpool, Man United, I put Tottenham in inverted commas, but Newcastle. And their teams are around that, but you just play against City, and it's just like you're 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 trying to play a different sport, especially when you know again we'll mention them again. Haaland just seems to be made in a lab and designed to play football. Um, it's just, again, it's just it's just no fair. I can't say it, it anymore. It's just no fair, but it t- really does take. We mentioned under Odegaard there. If you're going to beat City, you need players of a, a similar caliber to step up, and I'm not sure. Odegaard is on that level or he'll ever be on that level I mean he's very good against the Southamptons of the Premier League and all that and that sounds kind of detrimental but I do do generally mean he, he, he is very good against the lesser teams of the league but I think more if you look at 
City versus Real Madrid where Luka Modric has got to have the game of his life to to step up and Casemiro played really well that night and and all these guys that's what it takes to actually beat City but again a 38 game season is just it's just too long it just seems like too long in the sense that you know they can have a blip in it they'll plenty of time to recover whereas a knockout football obviously they can they can be beaten 90 minutes but over 38 games it's it's just an unbelievable task yeah absolutely as I had said last night that I don't think that Arsenal should be considered um bottlers at all because I don't think it's a case that they've bottled it I think it's a case that all of the potential frailties that we've seen in this team sort of 32 games ago were squad depth and tiredness and they just happened to take 30 to 32 games to come to fruition and this is the point that that would happen when we said these things might um, and, and City ramp up. If anything, I think Arsenal and Arteta deserve incredible amounts of credit for, you know, 50 points in the first 19 games. They, just, they, to even put themselves in the window of pretending to to push this City team all the way. You know, the only other team to do it in the last six seasons has been Liverpool. Um, and, and it took... You know the season of all seasons from Liverpool to finally win the league and you and usurp them. You know Arsenal are on for Arsenal are on for more points than the Invincibles got this season, um, and they're and they're not going to win the league and potentially not win the league by you know four to seven points, not like goal difference or something like that. That that just I guess kind of shows the levels we've been lifted to. I said, um, I also said it was a, Arsenal kind of play and you can see Arteta plays very sort of pep. But very pep, like at the start of this cycle, you know, kind of 2018, 2019 pep, keeps the ball a lot, gets it wide, looks for those kind of cutback goals and stuff. And, and City have just evolved since then, you know, it's, yeah, they, I mean, they've moved yeah. on years. I think you said it last week, Arsenal's better signings, Jesus and Zinchenko, are deep, are folk that Pep's deemed suckless to requirements at Man City. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, as I've said that before, Four or five times, it was just no fair. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't all work out um, like that, though. Like Raheem Sterling brings to mind. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks. It was one episode where we weren't going to have to talk about Chelsea. And I was really oh, we're definitely to... going to be talking about Chelsea. <laughs> no missing, an, opp- no missing an, uh, an opportunity to you know give Fat Frank a big, very good slagging. Yeah. One thing I did think was interesting, I seen it, I did see on Twitter, because there's been a lot of talk about the sort of Man City uh, dynasty and how it, how it sort of well, unusurpable, I guess, is to say, but this stat that somebody had tweeted was really interesting, which was between 1975 and 1990, Liverpool won 10 out of 15 titles. Between 92 and 02, Man United won 8 out of 11 titles. And between 07 and 13, United won 5 out of 7 titles. You know, City would be on for 5 out of 6 just now, or 6 out of 11 if you kind of take the bigger spread there. So, it's actually not unusual in English football for a, a team to, to dominate in this way. I guess it just, from the outside, it looks a little bit different given that they're owned by a state. And um, for 115 reasons, I think it is uh, that it's going to be difficult for, for others, perhaps other than Newcastle, um, to catch up with them. But talking of Newcastle, they did provide us with uh, probably the funniest uh, story of the weekend, it has to be said, as they ran out 6-1 winners um, against Spurs. Here they come again, it's Isak, it's another! What on earth is happening here? A heavy mix of disbelief and delirium inside St James's Park. 20 minutes played, Newcastle 5, Tottenham 0. 
Sheila, you just you said you wanted to talk about Chelsea, but there does seem to be one team in London right now trying their absolute hardest to take the limelight off of Chelsea for being a basket case. Uh, Tottenham five 0 down after twenty one minutes, which is genuinely unheard of. Uh, they were then asked to give all their money back to the fans, which they've agreed to do, which is also madness. Uh, and then they sacked their interim manager and appear to have replaced him with the with his assistant, Ryan Mason. So we now have an interim interim who is the assistant of the assistant of the person that was sacked originally. <laughs> but if, you, if you haven't learned from your mistakes, I don't know, I don't know where you were. At least Chelsea have the self-dignity to just accept their error and ride it out now till the end of the season. But um it, it's I don't even know what to say, Sheila. Yeah, it's absolutely well, I mean, crazy from Spurs. We can we can probably start off with like this result has been coming for the best part of two years. Where Tottenham have but have Tottenham have been stinking for that length of time, and just like either the genius of Harry Kane or they managed to to grind out results or at the very least avoid an overly embarrassing defeat. But this was just just like you would say, it was ruthless from Newcastle. They just they did play immaculate for those those, those twenty minutes, but they, even they seemed surprised at how how easy it was. Um, I think Isaac like shrugged his shoulders and was like, "What's going on here? I've scored two goals and we're only twenty minutes in." Um and yeah, it was just it was just embarrassing all over the shop from Tottenham. The, the, the poor the poor fella Sar was subbed off after twenty minutes. I don't think he was actually responsible for any of the goals. <laughs> um, but the, you know they made a they made a, an example out of that poor bastard. And <laughs> it's, just, it's just but any literally any one of the sub the the starting eleven first bars could have been could have been subbed off at that point. Um, maybe excluding Son and Kane and Kulisevsky see they hadn't touched the ball at that point but anyway the other players could have been withdrawn and again eh, it's just the whole the whole team is just just a, a shambles across the board and Ollie Skip wouldn't even get in and I think even the, the teams in the relegation zone would probably be like no you're alright I think Aberdeen would be like I would not take Ollie Skip Ollie yeah. Skip and he's, he's on there I think Hoiberg's a solid enough footballer, but not really here nor there. Um, and Eric Dyer, who's been there for God knows how long now at centre back, and he's not even a centre back; he's a whole midfielder, um, and he's gubbins into the into the bargain. So, just uh, you talk about the rebuild job at Aberdeen; it's it's even worse at Spurs. I mean, um, and Conte, Conte warned them about it as well. I mean, he's not he's not even there. Like, I mean. And he's not been there in what two, three weeks. So again, it was his assistant, to be fair. But he warned them that this was going to happen. That you know they're they're quite happy to accept, or the players at least are quite happy to accept this sort of performance level and blah blah blah. And then you know they're humiliated to the point where they feel they need to to give their you know the, the pay for the the refunds to the supporters that made the trip, which is again for me is just a, a cop out as well. I mean. You know they've they managed to come back from two 0 down against Man United tonight. Um, obviously, none of us will have will have seen any highlights or gameplay or anything like that. But you know you've got to try and do your talking on the pitch, and they've done that to an extent tonight. But if you're, I think, and again, it's the same same with Chelsea. Every week that goes past, I think their their scope for what candidates they bring in shrinks and shrinks. To the point is like other. Managers who have probably got a bit more brains in in their head are like, "No, you're all right. I'll just wait. 
I'll just wait, especially how they're how they've treated uh, Potter and Conte. So I'm yeah. determined to talk about Chelsea. You're not getting out. No, of that. no, you you are. You're doing everything you can to segue into Chelsea. Uh, I did also enjoy Hugo Lloris coming up at half time for Fraser Forster. Uh, just seeing Forster come out and like doing the big sort of because he's a massive man and doing like his huge claps like "Come on, boys!" as if it's like, like Thunder, it's no, no, it's still no, it's still no, no, yeah, it's win the second no, half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, which was brilliant. I wonder what I, I, I think I had uh, said in one of the group chats. You know, Hugo Lloris must have said something at half time, and the reply I got was like, "Yeah, please fucking take me off. I'm sick of this shit." <laughs> <laughs> Probably a fair, fair analysis. Um, yeah, and did either of you boys um, see this one? You, you, you've obviously both commented that you don't you don't don't watch a huge amount of top flight football, but even even then, sort of seeing a team five 0 down after twenty minutes must have raised an eyebrow or two. Well, we were in the pub obviously because this was the warm up for Aberdeen. Of course, yeah, Central. of course. It was. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those. I didn't see the game live at the time, but it was that kind of moment of madness where just somebody around the table goes, "It's five 0 Newcastle." I'm like, "How long has it gone?" Like twenty one minutes. I'm like what? <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I know Spurs are murder, but you know that's that's some heavy going. I mean, um, it's funny because you talked about Ollie Skip there. Ollie Skip, he should have gotten Norwich when he had the chance. <laughs> you know, he, he was he was excellent in Norwich on loan um, a couple of seasons back, and Norwich were going all guns out to try and get him signing a permanent when they're in the Premier League last season, and he didn't want to do it. He stayed at Tottenham. You know how sometimes just like clubs suit us player sometimes. Uh, I think he might be regretting that right about now. Um, Spurs are absolutely woeful, man. Like, and I was laughing about how like Spurs fans were going on about Conte and you know giving him pelters and stuff. I was like, Conte knows what he's doing. Like, let's not pretend otherwise. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if he's calling this a shit show from the inside, it's a shit show from the inside. Um. Yeah, man, what a, what a mess! I thought for a minute Jim Goodwin was in charge at Spurs at the weekend. <laughs> How bad it was! No, no, the Jim, the, the English equivalent of Jim Goodwin's at Chelsea. Met <laughs> yeah, and, and to be fair, Jim Goodwin had some bad days. We were never five 0 down after twenty minutes. Uh, although I did, I did say to somebody supporting the refund policy uh, that if I had got my money back every time I'd seen Aberdeen be shit, we'd have been out of business by now. So I'm not sure that's something that. Should <laughs> I know, no, again, coming coming back from a from a development perspective as well, I've seen some absolutely horrendous performances and, and results, and you, you you know you just that's the risk you take following a football team that some it's days football. are going to be horrendous, um, but it's very it's very English Premier League to. To start demanding refunds from from players. Um, it's like about this now, what I like about this now though is it set a precedent. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like all we have to do is refund the money, and you know we'll be cool, we'll be square. Um, it's just. I uh, hope yeah, though for every five five sort of five goal deficit from now on comes with a refund. Like <laughs> it'll be built into your season yeah. ticket and your match day ticket. If you lose by five or more, you. You get your money back. So when your team's losing four 0 you actually swap sides, and you're like, you know what? If they get another one, that's sixty quid in my back pocket, which would be brilliant. I mean, the worst game I ever left was the Scottish Cup final against Celtic. You remember when we imploded, um, and we were like three 0 down. Ferguson had got sent off. McInnes had been sent off. Like it was about sixty minutes ago. It was a disaster. So, I, and it's comfortably the earliest I've left a game. I was like, like this is quite obviously done. Like, I'm going home. I've got to drive all the way back to Aberdeen. And uh, I got to my car 
and I got caught in like a bottleneck of Aberdeen fans trying to leave. And I was there for so long that the Celtic fans that had watched their team lift the trophy were then walking past my car at the end of the game <laughs> and chatting to each other. And I was like, for fuck's sake, like I'd have been as well staying. It's just horrendous. <laughs> you know, I've left early. I've just had to sit in the car in silence because I didn't want to put the radio on for obvious reasons. And now all the Celtic fans are walking past goading me anyway. And they're goading me by not even celebrating. That was the worst thing about it was that they were just walking past as if yeah. it was just another fucking day like oh we won the cup that's fine carry on Bob's your uncle move move forward um, that was certainly a time where I wouldn't have minded getting my whatever it is for a Scottish Cup like 28 quid back or something like that and, and petrol money would have been nice as well um, but yeah Spurs sort of ruling themselves out of any hope of a top four um, fight with that result and you suspect that even given the draw tonight Newcastle and Man United are sort of too far away um, to be caught Man United also find themselves in an FA Cup final. You've got to say, Sheila, it's a pretty good season, even if they don't lift the FA Cup, but they've got a League Cup already, Champions League football next season. It's kind of hard to criticise Ten Hag. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially considering, you know, they've not spent relatively, like, not when like season's well, gone. 90 million on Anthony, where... but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, in terms of, like, the squad, the squad has shrunk. They managed to ship a, a few boys on. Uh, Sabitz are on, on loan. Um, Big Horse is on loan. I mean, I doubt, I doubt Big Horse very much. I'll, I'll stay. But yeah, he's done. He's done really well, and he, he's he's addressed areas that needed to be addressed. Like um, it's a bit unfortunate now that that you know he's injured. But Lissandro Martinez has come in, and all of a sudden it looks like Man United can play from the back. Take out him and Varane and Harry Maguire's in there. And you're like, oh Jesus! And they still they still try and play out from the back, and you can see quite quite easily that it that it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, he's he's steadied the ship, and it's no longer the basket case that it was this time last year, um, or certainly the start of this year with um, you know Ronaldo there and and questions about how's the new manager going to address that. He seems to have got rid of a lot of the sort of the bad apples in the dressing room they can actually focus on football and it seems a very um you know they're they're committed to the cause rather than you know the individuals are are, are no longer there. The Pogba's gone, Ronaldo's gone, Ronaldo eh, not Ronaldo, Maguire was they all they often I often get them two mixed up. Maguire and Ronaldo <laughs> TV done. Um <laughs> Um, but Maguire will probably not be there next season because I mean I don't know who's gonna take him but you know um not ten hag, that's for sure. Not not ten hag, and, and again, that's that's the crux of the matter. So yeah, they've they're very much improved, um, and they might have two trophies in Champions League football to to show for it. So you know, smiles all round for Man United, and they can try and maybe a, a sub Arsenal as far as the long term title challengers to to Man City next next year. Um, that's probably going to be the ambition for them, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think I think that's um, fair to say. I think we should probably just move on to the championship now. Uh, I suspect there's nothing left in the Premier League uh, worth discussing. Sheila, Sheila's shaking his head. Let, let's try and do it in about 25 seconds. Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea lost to Brentford 2-0 last night. Um, and Lampard took inspiration from Craig Levine because he, he set out with a remarkable 3-7-0 formation, um, which even for Frank Lampard is... is 
It's quite something. That's five defeats in a row. He was the first manager, first Chelsea manager ever to lose his first four games. So he's now extended that record to a fifth game. Uh, and they play Arsenal on Tuesday. So that's brilliant because um, that, that could quite quickly become uh, become six defeats. He, it, I, I don't really know why you want to talk about this because there <laughs> there's virtually nothing to say other than Chelsea had a basket I mean, case. <laughs> we, didn't really, we didn't really touch on it much. I mean, uh, last last week, but we didn't really touch on what Thiago Silva said after the the um, Real Madrid defeat, where even he admitted that, like this is like even seemed even he had regretted the fact that the that Potter had gone yeah. and had been replaced by Frank Lampard. Um, and again, well, it's like po- Pochettino now that's favourite. Yeah, um, which I actually, done, apparently. Is, uh, I actually think that's a good move considering it's a a young squad and he seems to thrive with sort of younger younger players. Um and he's and he's you know he's worked under Daniel Levy so if Bowley all of a sudden decides to tighten the purse strings, I doubt it, but and says like no this is what you've got, you need to work with it, then then he's the ideal man for the job. Um but yeah just it's just it's just funny to talk about Chelsea because <laughs> Frank Lampard's clearly out of his debt at this point. Um and like yeah, I think we should just take a moment moment to laugh about it. Like a minute, just, a minute's just laughter. Every... <laughs> just a minute's, a minute's laughter because they're, they're absolutely woeful. And I mean, how much did we spend in January? Close, to, close to a billion or whatever it was. Mental <laughs> I, money. I, and, I, in January, know, it was a couple <laughs> of hundred. Yeah, was... as, you look, as you look at the, the team they put out against Brentford, pro, probably one of the most athletic, well-organised, well-drilled teams in the Premier League. And, you know, you've got Conor Gallagher playing and What's his name? Canty's starting up front or whatever. Raheem Sterling's <laughs> playing as the you know the the centre striker. Considering that's a role he's never played for neither Liverpool or Man City uh, or England even. And it's just a case. As for like, fifty-two years old. Yeah, as for the playing right as a like for like replacement for Reese James, who's who's out in the season. But it, like Potter had Potter had genuine injury problems. Like he never got to really play with an Angolo Canty. He didn't really get to play with Reese James and, and Ben Chilwell. And obviously James is out for the rest of the season now, but it just seems like Frank actually does have players at his disposal that he can use and try and settle into some sort of rhythm or a consistent lineup. And he's just playing mental formations, just desperately trying like to do anything. Like this is this is a formation he dreamt up. Like literally, I came up one day, woke up and like an epiphany in the middle of the night, sat up in the middle of it, said to his wife, was it Christine Bigley? I've got it. It's all right. I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> immediately down to the training ground, got moving the cones on the, the markers on the blackboard, like, like this is how we're going to be Brentford. And, you know, just... One uh, giant line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're one of the best defensive midfielders on your generation, but, you know, well, you're going to play left wing. <laughs> what? Which one of the left wings? Second, second exactly, in the middle. Exactly. Like it's and it, this this like I've described like a fever dream, but this genuinely could have happened, and that's the mental thing. That's just genuinely how could it played out? Because it's it's the only logical way that it could have been could have done. That you can imagine him making his tea. You, you can imagine him making his coffee and poor Christine Blakely having to having to just smile and agree with him. But he's like, yeah, I've, had, "I've had this great idea, three seven zero. And he goes, "No, deadly serious. I'm going to play three defenders." No, no, no she, probably knows, she probably knows nothing about football. Yeah. And she's like, 
I think you should play 12 men, Frank. See if that works. Yeah. <laughs> like that. And, and his professional sounding board is Ashley Cole as well. And I like Ashley Cole, but he's he's not the latest spark in the box. That's for that's for sure. So he was probably happy to nod along and uh, participate in that as well. Uh, Gav, have you had an opportunity to laugh at Fat Frank and, and Chelsea's frailties in recent weeks? I mean, you know, I, I'm staggered that he's not turned it around. I honestly am. <laughs> yeah. um, that that decision was mental. That is like Aberdeen sacking Jim Goodwin in January, deciding, you know what, let's get Mark McGee on the phone list to stabilise things until the end of the season. Um, it, it's, it's so... When Lampard... I can't remember who Everton got beat by in London that sealed his fate at Everton, but there was a moment where he meets some Everton fans before the game, and he looks so scared and so stressed and I was just thinking, like, Frank, there's absolutely no way you need to do this. Like, just settle into, like, a punditry role, go off go off at the sunset, and then he gets the Chelsea gig again, and he must be like, I can't believe my luck. I'm back at Chelsea again. If I, if I, if I can just, like, you know, turn this around a little bit, because there's, it's a mess of a team, definitely, but there's a lot of talented players there. So you get a couple of results under your belt, and you're thinking, popular opinion, might get the full-time gig. If anything, this is actually nailed like the final, the final <laughs> nail in his coffin as a manager. I reckon he thought he was he thought he was going to de Matteo it, didn't he? He thought yeah. he was going to win the Champions League. That's what he thought. It's uh, it's bless, been absolutely spectacular. I, I bless him. <laughs> I'm always I'm always uh, shocked when I look at the table and find out they're actually not as low as I think they should be. Yeah, the still thing 11. is, they're only on thirty nine points though, which is still within that little relegation. Like it's less than forty two that West Ham went down with, so it's. Well, if it wasn't for the fact that there's a lot of really bad teams in the league, well, I'd, I'd be more concerned. I was going to say, he's done a lot of the legwork in getting Everton relegated, so could he make it too? Uh, maybe not. But yeah, uh, Chelsea, what a, what a shit show, and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, have you got anything to add to that, add to that Gary? No, it's pretty funny. That's all I'm gonna say. I mean, I, I had a look at the team from last night, and honestly, that looks like a team that we would get relegated every day of the week. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I'm, I've, I've come full circle on Felix being a genius now that Atletico Madrid seem to have kicked on remarkably since he <laughs> left, and Chelsea have been a basket case since he arrived. Their um, bench is mental as well. Though last night, like Abangyang, Midrich, Felix, you know. Pulisic, Zich, like, it's fucking nuts. Right, it, Absolutely it, nuts, but very funny. <laughs> I've seen that quote from apparently from Pochettino saying that he told the board that they needed to worry less about spending money and more about blooding youngsters, um, which sounded like a surefire way not to get the job um, at Chelsea, to be perfectly honest. But um, it'll be interesting to see what does happen if he comes in. I, I wasn't hugely for Tuchel, and that worked out all right. And then I was quite for Potter, and that was a disaster. So maybe my uh, my impression of what will make a good Chelsea manager is all wrong. And I don't really fancy Poch, so that's probably a good sign um, for, for any Chelsea fans. We will now come on to the Championship, because I wanted to speak a bit about um, Norwich, uh, a team that gets... A team, yeah, a team that does <laughs> get the odds mentioned, maybe not for a while on this podcast, Uh so I have a, a, a mild family connection to Norwich, so I do like to to look out for them. But but you boys are are staunch Canaries, as far as I understand. <laughs> um, and and you know, uh, yellow not, brogues. Yeah. <laughs> when you're not ABZing it, you're you're whatever the 
Norwich Airport uh, three-letter <laughs> references, <laughs> NWHing on on the side and and putting on your best accents. But they they've had an interesting season. Um, obviously, didn't work out with Dean Smith, um, who failed upwards. <laughs> who failed upwards and got himself at at Leicester. But they are, I think, mathematically, if I'm, if my maths aren't wrong, within um, you know within the playoff. And is that a realistic? <laughs> you're laughing. Is that? I presume that's not a realistic ambition. Uh, there is. There's three points in it with two games left to go, and there's five teams ahead of us. Uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, a lot would need to happen. Uh, mainly Norwich winning two games. <laughs> <laughs> and how how's the season been? Well, oh wow, just looking at your form. Uh, what's that? One win in ten that suggests it's not been. Sounds about right. <laughs> um, I think. A time for another confessional. Um, so since we started doing the podcast, especially my desire to watch much more <laughs> football than what I already do for the show <laughs> has kind of diminished. And I do just kind of watch a lot of Scottish football. Um, when it comes to Norwich, um, I think that we had something pretty unique and pretty special under Daniel Farka. Um, the two years that he, you know, got us promoted as playing some incredible football with these these players that no one would really ever thought of, it seemed like so out of the box when in England, especially it's just all about who spends the most money really wins. Um, it was disappointing both efforts in the, in the Premier League for sure. Um, I do feel with the benefit of hindsight that maybe not necessarily sacking him second time around was the wrong thing to do, but for a club that kind of prided itself on being innovative thinkers to then just go and say, well, Dean Smith's available. So let's give him the job. It seemed, um, Kind of like Aberdeen's Jim Goodwin situation of just a very lazy appointment from a guy that's you know done well in the championship prior previously with Aston Villa. Um, this season, the little that I've watched of it, I mean, it's just um, a few players there that shouldn't really be there anymore. Um, some that just simply aren't good enough for it. Um, I remember watching Norwich play Luton at at uh, is it Kenilworth Road or Kenilworth Park and uh, Luton's ground um, on TV and we were brutal absolutely brutal it was just like the best of Farca let's mirror it and make the absolute worst of it under Dean Smith we were we were terrible and uh, to then you know decide to part ways with him and then for the board and Stuart Weber to say well what worked first at Huddersfield oh yeah David Wagner who's failed in basically every job that he's had ever since he left Huddersfield Bring him in. Um, you've just said one win in ten. It's uh, the bounce has not come in any way, shape, or form, and now we're um, yeah. I think the I think the playoffs are are way too far off now, and then it'll be it's gonna be a difficult summer. That's that's the reality when you're a club like Norwich, who are you know we're not like Newcastle or Chelsea or Man City. We don't have a sugar daddy who's just gonna plow millions and millions into the squad over the summer. We might have to lose some and cut costs and then you know it's um it becomes a very difficult league to come out of so uh yeah it feels like we're at a bit of a, a pivotal point in our in our recent history sugar daddies are a good choice of words given who your owner is as well <laughs> if, if anybody was going to be a sugar daddy it would be delia but uh, <laughs> puts on a good puts on a good carvery in the hospitality i must say yeah, she does, yeah. <laughs> uh, the yeah it's disappointing because it would have been the sixth successive season at norwich the, the bounce, bounce um, yeah. and, and Fulham and Fulham and Norwich were both on five and are both away to ruin it, which 
which is a real shame. Although I did like the fact that Norwich and Fulham, because of their bouncing, hadn't played each other for about six years. And at least that'll carry on. So there is that. So so hopefully next season Norwich can kind of creep up and Fulham will fall back down so that they can they can bounce. I do like the idea that they'll never play each other again because they're just constantly <laughs> swapping swapping places. It's like that old joke about have you ever seen them in the same room? You know, are Norwich and Fulham actually the the, the same team? Um Gary, is it much the same for you this season? Sort of looks like it's, it might peter out. Uh, yeah, I mean, playoffs. Playoffs are definitely gone now. It's it's, it's no chance that's going to happen. Um, uh, Norwich are an, uh, an odd club from that perspective because obviously you had the two promotions under Farka, but the Norwich board are just so. And I understand why they don't want to spend money. They you know when um, they were really in serious risk of going to administration um, a few years ago, and they they got that's when they had to sell like Madison to Leicester and. Um, so Murphy went to Newcastle, I think, at that point, or was it Cardiff? Can't remember who it was, but those those were two transfers that basically stopped Norwich going to administration. Um, Farka somehow miraculously got that team then promoted, winning the championship, playing like unbelievable football for for at that point. You know, Vincent Company and Burnley have really changed. I think the way that people now view the way you can win the championship. Well, I think to be fair, Farka did actually, but but Company that have taken it to a different level this season. But they were playing unchampionship style football to win that league twice. Um, but then just never got backed when they got up to the Premiership to try and make a real fist of actually staying up. And there was a bit, I think they were just too content to go up, take the cash, not spend a lot of money. If we stay up with the players we've got, brilliant, that's a massive bonus. And then we might think about spending. If we don't, we come down, we've not you know lost our shirts, try to chase the dream. But they're going to have a big challenge now this summer because obviously the first season they came down after Farka left, they were able to sell uh, Emi Buendia to Aston Villa for big money. And they've missed Buendia massively, hugely talented player. They don't have in the squad now a player that you look at and say they'll sell for big money this summer. There's not one that really jumps out. Grant Hanley ain't moving to Manchester City. Um, so that'll be... <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a big a big problem for them this season because you know they're not going to have that cash to try and rebuild that squad it's an aging squad Pookie's leaving in the summer uh, you've got guys like Kenny McLean now, who've been pretty good servants now um, it's not worked with Wagner I don't know what they're going to do to be quite is Cantwell on loan to Rangers or no they sold him he's, on, sold. he's sold yeah yeah. so that was a dagger through the heart having to watch him in that strip as well on Sunday afternoon um, but there we go I, I so mean, yeah Personally speaking, having watched Todd Cantwell at Norwich, I was delighted to see him in Rangers shirt. <laughs> it does seem to suit him, as that you know he's got that sort of Rangers skull. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. just like yeah. somebody said in one of our chats, it looks like he smells. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably fair enough. Probably fair enough. But surely they could sell Josh Sargent for big money. Yeah, his <laughs> big ginger afro. It's great. <laughs> Still the greatest miss in Premier some, League history. Some player, some player uh, well, it, it open goal, but doesn't kick it hard enough, so it doesn't actually reach the goal. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Who do you think he is? Miles Story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, phenomenal. I don't know. It's a nightmare. And the worst thing about this was, as an Aberdeen fan, when you you finally jettison Stephen Glass and Alan Russell and Co. from Aberdeen, and then who rocks up at Norwich City is the fucking set piece coach. It's fucking Alan Russell. <laughs> Well, he did. Great. He did teach Harry Kane everything he knows. Well, he did. True, that yeah. is true. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I'm surprised it didn't work. It, it didn't work out more for him. At, yeah. Uh, pa- at Panama aren't in the championship, as it turns out. 
Yeah, it's it, it. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I do like to see. Uh, I said my uncle's a Norwich fan, so I do like to see Norwich um, do well, and and they don't appear to be. But that is a. Well, we spoke Sheila last week about the Championship in Scotland being a brutal league to get out of, but the Championship in England is just um, different bacon. And unfortunately, Bur- I actually don't feel. I, I thought I'd feel worse about a Burnley bounce back, but I think because it's under company and they're sort of a very different Burnley, it's not as. Depressing is just, you know, like a Sean Dyche Burnley coming straight back. Um, how Paul Heckenbottom is bringing Sheffield United into the Premier League is utterly yeah, beyond me. We're all, we're all doomed. I told you it would happen well, if it happened, the universe would end. But, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, I'm quite I'm quite looking forward to see how he, how he gets on in the, the Premier League. Um, to see whether he's another he angry man. Another he, 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 is, he, is an, he is an angry man. He seems to have mellowed though. At Sheffield United, maybe that's just because I've not seen as much of him, but and he's winning a lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, there's that, there's that, but obviously he like he's the inter, he's still the interim. Well, not interim now, but like he was there as a caretaker first of all, and he's he just managed to get the job. So maybe if he was a bit more more blessed than than perhaps he was at, at Hibs, where kind of came in with a chip on his shoulder. What the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> um, where he's he's, luck, he's lucked into a position at, at, at Sheffield United and it's actually worked out. But yeah, it is it is it is a very difficult week to get out of, um, especially you know when you've got so many teams that are that bounce up and down. If you're down there for any prolonged period of time, it it just seems to get um, more more and more difficult. Um, and it's you know it's like we talk about the sort of the roulette, the manager managerial roulette that. That goes on in um, both Scotland and England, but it's it's honestly mental down there. That I don't unless you're winning the league, <laughs> it's very rare that you know you start and finish a campaign with the with the same manager. Um, but I, it's, I, yeah, it's, I don't, don't envy, envy anybody down there trying out. No, and hopefully somebody different comes up. Luton, Coventry in the playoff spots at the moment. We only, I would hope Luton come up just because Nathan Jones seemed to think, you know, he'd done a tremendous job and he's since left and, you know, they could very well end up in the Premier League anyway. So that would be that, good. That would be just amazing. To tie, just to tie up the Nathan Jones arc that we've had going through the, <laughs> the podcast this season and a nice little go. <laughs> he, he, he has been a main perpetrator, a main character of this podcast for the season, although... He, his name is still there or thereabouts for the Hearts gig, and I would, I would, oh, oh, please make it happen. Absolutely love Nathan Jones to show up at Hearts. Please make it happen. It'd be, it'd be phenomenal. It'd be phenomenal. I've got a mate that's got a, a flat on Gogi Road as well, so I can, I can text him to find out if any table tennis tables get set alight in the yeah, middle. Have they got of, any, <laughs> any like sort of historical monuments within the, the ground that you can set fire to? <laughs> <laughs> did you? I don't know. Did you gents hear the table tennis story about Nathan? Than Jones. I've heard I recall it, yeah. this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sensei, but comfortably my favourite story about any football manager in recent yeah. times. Um, <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, well, fantastic. Nice to get a little a little touch into the Norwich Championship, not something uh, we look at enough, to be honest. Uh, there's usually too much batshit crazy stuff going on um, between Aberdeen, Dunfermline and the Premier League. But to finish, something we love doing with all our guests, it's the ultimate five-a-sides team. Um, anytime we get a new guest on the show, we ask them to tell us what well, their ultimate five or six team done. We've done loads of these now. Uh, the rules are always the same. That We hand it over to you guys. So the rules can be effectively whatever you want. Some people have done players they've seen live. 
Uh, some just picked sort of like a, an all-time um, ultimate five-a-side team, given the given it a bit of, of a theme. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Gary Thacker on, who who did a sort of Ajax all-time five-a-side team, which, needless to say, was much better than the uh, combined Cowden Beath Plymouth five-a-side <laughs> team that we had <laughs> from the week before, where the best the best player had played League One football in England, and the other four nobody had ever heard of. Um, so there's a a little bit of a change in quality going from from that to Cruyff um, et al. So. Uh, <laughs> It is very, very varied. And seeing as we've got two guests uh, and you're both going to do a five scene, um, we, we kind of go through it sort of rule, formation-y, so to speak, and then position by position, finish off uh, with a manager and a kit, um, which I don't think I told you about a manager and a kit, but I'm sure between the time it takes you to say goalkeeper and the fifth player, you can think of a manager and a kit. Uh, but we'll go through it with both of you sort of bit by bit so the first question is whether either of you set yourself a sort of vague rule that you wanted to try and kind of build this team within I think I'm just going to go with Aberdeen players that I've seen live in the flesh fantastic I'm, I'm going to go all time Aberdeen yeah Super. That, I've, that I've seen yeah I'll go that I've seen yeah yeah let's do that let's make it all the time that yeah. you've seen I did yeah. there was a fantastic episode I don't know if you've, if you've seen it on uh, these football times do a sort of Mount Rushmore thing mm, yeah. um, and, and they had the, the, the chap on doing the Aberdeen Mount Rushmore which I did really enjoy but it was just occasionally so he wasn't an Aberdeen fan he was sort of doing it as like a looking at Aberdeen okay and you could tell because every now and again he said a player that and I just kind of came out in a cold sweat so he was talking about like the greatest goalkeeper in Aberdeen's history. And he was like, you know, it probably in the end of the day boiled down to one of two, but there was a lot of names that I really had to think about, such as like Jamie Langfield, for example. And I was <laughs> like, what? J- Jamie Lang? Jamie Langfield cannot be said in the same sentence as Jim Leighton. That's an absolute disgrace. <laughs> and then he was talking about midfielders and he was sort of going through like the iconic 83 midfielders. And then he said things like, and also, it would be uh, remiss of me to forget Kenny McLean and, of course, Ryan Jack, who were sensational for Aberdeen. And again, it's like, <laughs> I think there'd be sort of a price put on your head if you had Ryan Jack on an Aberdeen Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Somewhat controversial. So um, I presume neither of you are going to have Clangers or Ryan Jack, but I shouldn't um, I, I shouldn't ruin the surprise. Well, you'll just have to wait. We will, we will. So um, To save before- time, Gab, do you want to do a combined one? can do that if you want. Yeah, let's do that. Because we've, we've gibbered a lot about Aberdeen tonight. Put it, yeah, let's do a can, combined one. We can put it to a committee, yeah. Yeah, let's but, do a committee. Come on. Yeah, you can both put somebody forward. It'll okay. probably be the same person. And then if right. it's not, you can decide between you uh, right. which which one to go for. I like the sound of that. That'll okay. be fantastic. So uh, formations are usually like, like, you know, anybody that's played five. So a formation tends to be a diamond or a sort of like 2-2. Two, two. Occasionally people do weird stuff like a 1-1-2 one, one, or a 2-1-1, one, one, but... I suspect, I, I presume you'll do a defender, two midfielders, and a striker. In my experience of playing fives with this lot, it's more like school playground methodology, <laughs> just follow the ball. Um, one one defender, two midfielders and a striker. Yeah. Good. yeah. Perfect. Fantastic. Right, let's start with the goalkeeper then. One one from each of you. Theo. I don't actually really remember Theo, but I do know that I've seen him live in person and I know enough about him Theo's going in goal Theo would have a brilliant presence in a five-a-side net unquestionable he's a big loon he is yeah. a he's a he's a big loon and big lad 
slight yes. just like just just before my time as well. I think I have to. I think I have seen him in the flesh, but not not in in memory. I reckon will uh, Theo would also be able to pick a pass with his feet if he needed to, to break a line. So you'd be all right. You'd be good. Also, just just ask that boy from Hibs what was his name something right Keith Keith Wright Keith Wright yeah, <laughs> yeah broke his like, face you can handle himself which yeah. um, in my experience of playing fives at goals on a Monday night um, having someone that can uh, handle himself is a very good thing yeah definitely agreed Theo's in easy Theo's in but boom Sheila Sheila's got the the look of a man that's maybe not entirely sure which <laughs> he's saying Theo and he's like I'm out <laughs> Any honourable mentions at all? We usually ask for a couple of honourable mentions. Uh, Mark Howard. Um, Derek Suter. Adam Collins. Um, Peter Kerr, I always think of as being a classic sort of early <laughs> 2000s <laughs> legend. Uh, Scott Scott Brown. Goalkeeper, Scott Brown, not the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jamie Langfield. <laughs> Jamie Langfield yeah. has played an extraordinary amount of games for Aberdeen. He really does, hasn't he? He saw off so many challengers. <laughs> he did. He did Re- uh, repeatedly, and and David Priest as well, who's yeah. gone on to yeah, gone on to bigger and better things since uh, since leaving um, Aberdeen. Uh, jokes aside, uh, Joe Lewis and Danny Ward would be them my backup keepers. Don't know why I would have two, but yeah, I reckon Jay Jay Horter would be good at fives. I think because he's he is he does strike me as being a bit mental, so. Think he could be useful, but yeah, no. Theo, yeah, Theo. It's a shame. Theo. It's a shame he's not going to be around a bit more. And I quite like a season of Jay Horta. Uh, shit, how's it? Okay, uh, defender. I'm gonna. Say, I can't put anyone else in this. It's, it's Willie Miller, but Willie would be the perfect fives defender because he would just stroll around, just tackling people like as though nothing happened, and then just spraying little five yard passes. Be brilliant. Um, I, I I can't put Willie Miller in for <laughs> um for age reasons. Um, there's going to be a theme within my selection. Uh, it's all it's going to be about people who can run around for sixty minutes and also handle the ball. Kevin on. Ooh. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm a big fan of that show. Good defender can yeah. get up and down. Good with the ball can go past people. A dream, absolute dream. Quick off the mark too, just handy in fives, like sort of five ten yard pace. Yeah, yeah. But who Willie didn't f- need it. Willie didn't need it. Who, who would have thought this was a conversation that Don's fans would be having? Who, who, who are you taking in your team, Willie Miller or Kevin McNaughton? <laughs> you've got to, you've got to pick one of them <laughs> within um, the within within the confines of a cage on an astroturf pitch. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. I like the fact I was like, let's go combined, and they were clearly diverging from that plan very early doors. Maybe yeah. it is two teams after all. Right. Well, you've both got Theo and goals, and then we've yeah. got Willie at the centre of one, yeah. Kevin McNaughton at the centre of the other. Because I like where this divergence may may take us. I'm surprised not to hear to hear Russell Anderson get an honourable. Well, I didn't actually ask you for any honourable mentions. <laughs> Maybe he would have done. <laughs> Absolutely, but um, you know, I've got to think about the the got to think about the balance of the team. Got to think about the Astro, haven't you? Russell had a couple of oh, bad knee injuries, so you know. We, I worked with Russell Anderson for a bit, and we, we, we tried to get him involved in every fives or sevens tournament that our work played. And needless to say, every time he said his knees were chocolate, which I fully, totally, and utterly believe. But there wasn't a corporate five sides league that came around that it wasn't worth accosting him in the uh, kitchen and saying, oh, yes. "Russell, 
Uh, Russell, you, how's the knees? If you put ice on them for a week, you reckon you can do a job at centre-back? <laughs> <laughs> I've played a couple of games of fives with Dunfermline legend as well, Doug Rugby. Wow. And Doug's like, you know, Doug had this reputation in the 80s of just being like this big menacing defender which just kick anything that moved and wasn't maybe much of a player. Fucking hell, the boy can play. Hmm. But he also just kicks the shit out of people as well, which is very funny. <laughs> um, so I would, I would maybe think about putting Duggan as well, but no, it's just Willie every day of the week. He must be, um, yeah, he must, he, he's that, I could imagine that for younger people that end up playing fives against him as well, would would look at him on the pitch and think, oh, that's fine, I'll mark the old guy. Uh, and, and then, <laughs> and, and then realise that about, yeah, within about 90 seconds that they've had an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name. There was a Don's fullback. That's going to annoy me. But he uh, he played for Cooter uh, Juniors team, and he was incredible, especially at that level. He sort of must have been in his early forties. And there was a few times that you could see sort of young wingers that didn't know who he was, thinking, "Oh, this is fucking brilliant." Playing against a boy half my age, and the first time they do a trick or try to go past him, he would bin them, get up, get the ball, and he just had this ping, and he could just fire it like ninety yards diagonally, like an arrow, and you'd see like their eyes widen, and it's like, "Oh fuck, I'm in for a long, long <laughs> ninety minutes here." <laughs> uh, super Willie Miller, Kevin McNaught, Mahami's gone. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Hey, that tackle was too much. Uh, cramp, not 60th minute, cramp in the sixth minute. I'm <laughs> just rolling off. No. <laughs> um, so you're playing with two midfielders. Uh, welcome to to any type of midfielder that's obviously available here. So who, who are you going for first? Oh, uh, Ryan Jack. No, wait, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jim Bett. Jim Bet. Not the most mobile, but in a fives game when it gets a bit congested, you need somebody who can pick a pass. Jim Bet. Holly, um, everyone we speak to that played with Jim Bet says to us, when it comes to the best player they ever played with, Jim Bet all day long. And in today's world, billion pound player. Unreal. But again, another one. Never saw him. Again, pace, energy, tenacity is what my team is going to be all about. Captain, fantastic. Graham Shinney. Superb. I, I, and when, was, and, when, and, when, and when we're coming to these kind of games, when you've got the quality on one team, it's always the team with the legs that wins out. Yeah, this 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 is transpiring to be an incredibly interesting five a side game. Typically, is the, there would be a Theo and Theo fight at the end of it, but but <laughs> yeah. otherwise, it is there's some sensational matchups here, and Graham Shinney would be. Um, your sort of quintessential uh, five-a-side player. We did have somebody once pick Paul Scholes because they had a really good range of passing. We had to remind them that the pitch was only 25 yards long. You, know? uh, you can't so, cover five rules, you can't go overhead height. So exactly. Totally yeah. Yeah. This yeah. entire game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and your other midfielder, I, I suspect somebody probably with a bit more flair. A bit more legs for me, Graeme Shinney. Ah, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I need a point of order as well for Gav here. Gavin has seen Jim Bet in the flesh, so I'm disgusted don't, by this. Don't remember it. Yeah, no, you have. You, Sorry, is it your, played in your first game you ever went to, Gav, ah, but never do I remember it, Gramps. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Gav? Yeah, I'm going to go for a guy that I thought was class the entire time I was here, and I'm delighted that he's gone on to do great things, Lewis Ferguson. Oh, sensational. I, I thought that was going to be James Madison for a second, but I did love Madison, but um, I think that he would get taken out quite early doors in a game of fives. Yeah, 
he's he's a bit yeah he's a bit lightweight for fives isn't he yeah. uh, and, and, and the inv- Aber- the, Ab- the Aberdeen version of him especially yeah he's inviting getting squashed against the boards pretty early on when he's when he's trying to play out from the back isn't he which is yeah when he's taking the ball like under control and there's snow under his feet and like ice and then someone just comes in and wipes him out that's like <laughs> that's it. ties that's that's sub sub right now I do love Lewis Ferguson. I also love how much airtime he gets on the English-speaking Bologna Twitter um, as well, where, where they've clearly gone, he is the only player that our English-speaking followers know who is. So we're just going to push him out. He'll do. Yeah, exactly. We'll just throw him and we'll get loads of likes for it. And we'll make lots of yes, sir, I can boogie references for, for easy <laughs> shares and retweets. Uh, brilliant. And then... Uh, arguably the most important position on the pitch, your striker. Gav, floor's yours. Luis Lopez. Oh, he's good. Oh, straight in. Straight in. For he's certainly not may, lightweight. For those that may not know, otherwise known as Duke. Perfect. Can do literally anything. Can track back. He can pick the ball outside his box, run the length of the pitch, skin everyone. Put it in the top corner. He can body people lightning fast. He's my man. Also, his goal against Dundee United is like such a five school as well. Oh, yeah. Because but... sometimes you find yourselves in like peculiar in game positions on a fives pitch and you need someone who just has a little bit of magic. Yeah. Duke. Hard to, hard to argue with that, Gary. I just laughed at Gavin describing his fives as sometimes how he ends up in peculiar positions having played on <laughs> having played alongside Gavin. I'm, yes, that's true. Um <laughs> mainly see, getting mainly getting kicked by someone for no reason. Not looking at anyone in particular. Yeah, well, you know. Um oh man, this is hard because like Duke is the obvious one, but um I can't not have an all time Aberdeen team for me that doesn't include Ian Jess in it. I knew it. I knew so it. So the Port Soy Pele is in <laughs> Up top again brings all the qualities you need in the fives uh, striker to the table. So Ian Jess has to be in. Ah, he, he's sensational. There's um. Did you not make uh, Kieran or Greg's team as well. I'm sure that's the, the second second fives team he's made it into, which I don't think many other players, even the sort of the big names, have had. I've made it into two teams. It's, there we go, Ian Jess. So good, he's made it into two five ultimate fives. <laughs> we'll text him later to tell him he's made it into this twice now. He'll be delighted. Yeah, exactly. It'll be over, that, that'll be his. That'll be his all time uh, all time highlight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's made it into the late kickoff football podcast ultimate fives on episode seventy eight. Like that's that's what everybody imagines finding themselves <laughs> at some point. Well, no, 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 you think like I think after Aaron's team was picked, like there were just genuinely boys like, oh, you can't. I was matching in an ultimate fives eleven. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> Any player you can think of, but I've made it in like. Oh, yeah, it's players that you look up and they did have a Wikipedia but it was three lines and it had no appearances some, in the of, them box. Didn't, some, of, some of them didn't have any Wikipedia that's how <laughs> far down the, the, the pyramid they were <laughs> um, and you both need to pick a manager uh, as well obviously sticking within the rules so the the, the big ticket Don's managers taken taken out um oof that's a tricky one. I've not known many good Aberdeen managers. <laughs> <laughs> Do I throw in one for the bounce, or 
Um, no, dude, it's five, so let's be honest. They don't need a huge amount of tactical <laughs> awareness. I'm, you, well, you're really, you're looking for the vibes guy, if anything. <laughs> well, now you've said that, Steve Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve on the sideline is nothing away. Yeah, definitely. Steve. Barry Robson. Barry Robson would be a good fives manager. I think he'd be too intense. <laughs> I'm going to say Barry Robson. He could, he, he could be a player manager. I don't think we've had many of them. Like yeah. guys that could actually still put up and pay the boots. And there you go. Oh, yeah, at the age he is as well. Yeah, thinking oh, outside the thinking outside the box here. That's it. We're, when somebody inevitably pulls up with cramp or <laughs> spewing in a bucket because they had their like pasta a little bit too early before the, uh, too quick before the game, then you know Barry can step in. We usually ask the question that that you're the sixth man, <laughs> and, wh- and which player do you do you see yourself coming on for first? Oh, my team can run all day. I mean, you're gonna have to. You know, it, it's like Formula One where you have to use you have two to different tires. Like you have to, you have <laughs> to use your substitute. <laughs> I have to replace it. Uh, Gary's team are not getting the ball off my team, so I'll go and go. I'll take Theo's place. Oh wow! I'd love to see Theo's reaction when when the signal goes up. Theo sees I'm just like Theo, just go and go stand next to stand next to Steve. Get a little, <laughs> get a little sip of vodka off him. Especially when the other Theo is goading him as well, and then it's making it even worse. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Jim Bet. <laughs> <laughs> Coming on for one of the most technically gifted Aberdeen players of all time. I do have an eye for a pass. Ah, fair enough. And and to be fair, you you a good is, one, but yeah. You've got Willie Miller behind you if you lose the ball, so you're all right there. And then you you've got Graham Shinney doing the running. And all you need to do is find Duke. Um and you get the ball to his feet, you'll be laughing. So sensational. And the last question is, and, and you obviously have to diverge on this, uh, is which which classic Don's kit that you've watched would they be playing in? Well, I'm happy for Gary to have the the home kit because obviously we've got two Aberdeen teams playing against one another right now. Oh, bastard! I want to take the away kit. Um, <laughs> all right, home kit. Uh, the eighty nine ninety home kit, the JVC. You know the squares design on it. Yeah, classic cup double. Ian Jess in it, Jim Bet in it, Willie in it. Ah, just. Getting aroused just thinking about it. <laughs> JVC um, is like a classic, just classic really is, football isn't sponsor, isn't it? Like yeah. that. That'll not have, like three. Just doesn't have the same sort of no. feeling to it as a JVC top. Gav, uh, and emerging from the away dressing room, they're wearing the shirt that Jamie is wearing right now. I love that top. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? The... This, se- this season's away shirt. Sue. When I the pictures were released, I think it was Connor Baden, a player that didn't come up earlier, remarkably. But I think it was Connor Baden that was that was um, that was showing it. And Connor, Connor Baden's a a good looking young man, but I don't think he's going to be you know centerfold of Vogue anytime soon. Um, and I seen him in that top, and I was like, holy shit, that is inc- like, he is a sensational looking man. And it was it was all the top. I'm a, I, this is hilarious how these things happen. This is like proper serendipity. So I would never probably describe Conor Barron myself as being an incredibly attractive man, but I did drive past him today, and he he appears to have a personal registration plate which does read "sexy" at the end of it. <laughs> 
And I was going to save that for our own podcast this week, but fuck it, you've had it for free because it came up there out of nowhere. What an exclusive. What an exclusive um, that is. You know, so... Hey. Well, somebody, somebody with access is. Yeah, I know you want to ask the. I know you want to ask the big questions when you get the the chief exec <laughs> on, but perhaps you actually need to be asking them about why right. why they allow Conor Barron to have a personalized sexy number plate. <laughs> I thought it was personalized, but it certainly finishes sexy. And I was just like, hmm. incredible. Yeah, what, what, well, what was the what was what car does he drive? Just any uh, interest. Oh, um, I don't. I can't I can tell you because like, it was just too cold. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, it might be have been like a. Uh, I'm gonna say like a Beamer. Sure, that that's a number plate that belongs. I'm gonna say like a Beamer three series or something of that note. That belongs in a hairdresser's Fiat yeah. five hundred for sure. <laughs> like a white a white Audi TT that's a little bit lower than the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Fantastic. So just to to recap, they've both got Theo Snelders in goals. They've got Willie Miller and Kevin McNaughton, Jim Bett and Graham Shinney, Graham Shinney and Lewis Ferguson, and then Lewis Lopez Duke and Ian Jess. In the dugout, we've got Barry Robson and Steve Patterson, and they're walking out in the 89-90 Aberdeen home top with the JVC and the squares from the cup double season, and the away team are wearing this season's 22-23 um, white and red pinstriped away shirt, which is sensational. Um, gents, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both um, so much for your time. It's been a, a, a long episode, a long record, which to be fair is something that you guys are uh, more than accustomed to with a, <laughs> with bumper episodes, but yeah. um, it's been sorry. superb. Not yeah, at all. We, Not we, do, um, we, do, we do bring the length. It's... it's, it's <laughs> It's. Uh, I'm never going to complain if you not to spend two and a half hours talking almost entirely and exclusively about Aberdeen while just dropping in some of the Premier League stuff to make sure that we've we've spoken about it. It's been sensational, uh, Sheila as well. Thank you very much for for jumping You're on welcome. as always. As always, pleasure. Uh, it, it was an absolute pleasure, um, and we will, Sheila. I'll catch up with you again next week, and uh, Gary Gav. Hopefully, we'll be able to to talk again at some point. Cheers. <laughs>